tremble, fearful mortals, for the midnight hour chimes. Ancient battlefields echo to the clatter of bleached bones and rusted armor as the dead rise once more. Plague pits and shallow graves heave as maggot-eaten fingers tear aside the loose topsoil. The baying of lifeless wolves chills mortals to the core. Chiropteran horrors spill from tumble-down belfries as a shrieking cloud bloated from a diet of fresh gore. Yet all these fiends pale in comparison to the masters of the revenant host, the soul blight vampires. These deathless warlords bear both the mightiest of powers and the most dreadful of curses. By their will can the necromantic arts be harnessed to bring hordes of undead warriors lurching to their feet. With a single blow can they tear through armor, flesh, and bone to rip out the vital organs beneath. But to maintain their monstrous existence, a vampire must slake an endless thirst for the blood of the living. The beast within is demanding indeed, and behind the porcelain facade of humanity, vampires are ravenous horrors who would plunge the realms into an endless, abominable night. The Soulblight vampires consider themselves destined to rule. In this, they reflect he whose malignant power sired them, Nagash, supreme lord of the undead. From bleak Nagashazar, he commands his grave lords to march forth, bringing the curse of undeath to every corner of the realms. In the darkness of his necrotopia shall the vampires feast as never before, mortals reduced to cowering slaves fit only to be drained of blood. So it is that the soul blight aristocracy makes war on the living with a relentless fervor, their corpse host reinforced with the bodies of those same bold warriors who once defied them. So be afraid, mortals, and clutch thy blessed trinkets close, for night draws in, and the soul blight grave lords come for thee. Welcome to the garage, you tools. For the next few hours, I'm going to be bringing you some info on the Soul Blight Grave Lords. Hoping you'll be uh, informed and entertained and all that stuff Chris you wrote and I never bothered to rewrite a new intro. I am David Witek and joining me today folks, joining me today on the mic here today back from his hiatus after covering the Bone Reapers. We got Mephisto back. Mephisto, what's going on brother? Oh man, not much. Just living the dream Every day. That's and, uh, how it's you know, got to be. I was gone for reasons related tonight. I had to forge a new army uh, for all my for all my death heads out there. Aha. Is that what yeah. happened? Yeah, that's what happened. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I got your back, everybody. <laughs> you, want, you want new death? I'll just conjure it into reality. That's, that's what I do. Oh, goodness. All right. So, listen, before we get started here, we're going to jump in. Uh, normally, normally, I open the show with Lindsay. But then I realized the master engineer wasn't here, so we were going to do the opening of the book. So I took that opportunity while you were grabbing water to get the show started. So I didn't mean to throw you off there. But, uh, folks, uh, before we jump into this, I do want to thank the sponsors of Garage Hammer, which are Chaosworks Superstore, Six Squared Studios, and Grognard Games in Roselle, Illinois. Now, uh, also definitely got to thank our Patreon patrons, those almost 1% who who make this show and all 
that we do for it possible. And that includes our associate producers, Dwight Sims, Christopher Sanders, AJC, Opie, and Big Jake, our executive producer, Colin Miller. And we have no new patrons since I recorded the last show four days ago. But I do want to give a special thanks to Billy Schitz, who bumped his pledge up to the next level, went up to that next level of pledge. Uh, apparently, he's really been enjoying the show. So um, thank you, Billy. Thank you to everyone past present and future uh, Patreon sponsors for Garage Hammer. Uh, you have no idea how much uh, I appreciate that. Um, and, okay, we, I have a voicemail, but I can't play it for you this episode. I'm going to have to do it next episode or so, only because uh, I'm I'm researching the answer to the question I was asked. Uh, it was a, a, a word origin question. I have most of it together, and I wanted it to be a decent answer. Um, so I'm going to get back to that. But if you had a voicemail, you wanted to leave. Like, if you were like, hey, I want to leave a voicemail for Garage Hammer. I want to tell them how, how great Mephisto was being back on the show uh, again. I want to tell them how wonderful it was. Then you just have to dial 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. That's 1-757-GH-SHOW-6. You can call. You can leave a voicemail. And then it winds up going on the show. That's how that thing works. So um, just try to make sure it's appropriate for the show. Um, it, you know, um, you know, we we still got to say pseudo kid friendly. So there we go. Um, that's everything I think. Um, so you know what? Let's uh, let's you know what? Let's take that quick break, like we always do before the show. We're not going to do the toolbox or any of that stuff. We're going to jump right into this book before we take that quick break. Quick question: What would you say? Uh, just overall first impressions uh, of the Grave Lords in general. I, I, uh, there's a there's a lot of uh, let me try to say this with some nuance because there are some people out there that are feeling a little bit of dis- disharmony or dissonance with this book and I think that their emotions are valid uh, to, to feel that way I think there is a you know I know that we went into this with a lot of expectations uh, the rollout was weird for many people because we got potato cam picture and so we had a lot of time to build expectations right you know the, the expectation that this was going to be vampire counts 2.0 versus lon 2.0 and i think we landed with something weirdly between the two <laughs> so so people so people didn't quite get like all the way one thing that they wanted or all the way a different thing that they wanted but but if, if you you know sort of put those feelings in in what i like to call the bubble this is the uh, mr mephisto protective bubble tm okay put it in the bubble we put it up in the corner of the screen up over there. We know that it's up over there, uh, and we can you know, point to the bubble and, and mention the bubble, but we, we, we're not going to talk about that anymore. We're going to talk about what we got. And what we got was actually really, really great, um, I, I think. Like, power, power level-wise, I think, you know, because people who play with a competitive capacity, you're going to find yourself on the upswing of that bell curve in the, the fat middle, as, as Vince Venturello likes to call it, right? Right. Um, so it's not going to be the S tier broken book if that's what you were looking for, uh, but that, I think that's a good thing. You know, the cries of Petrifex Elite for for Ossiarch Bone Reapers took away from some some of you know as, as an Ossiarch Bone Reaper player too took away from some of my fun. I wanted to just enjoy my thing without people. No, uh, with this <laughs> with this, I don't think you're going to have a bunch of uh, it feels bad. I think they were very deft at going through and some of the mechanics taking away some of those feels bads for your opponents. Um, but honestly, from like just a pure aesthetic and lore thing, like we finally got vampires that really live in the mortal realms. 
like they they truly this these aren't these things left over from a game that that some of us played and some of us didn't like they these are the things that populate the mortal realms like i look at like lauka vi and her like evangari uh you know dynasty and you're just like these are so nightmarishly wicked like this yes. is the this is the this is the bloodborne like nightmare creatures sort of uh, stuff that exists in the shadows of my you know fear-addled mind like it's the the some of the stuff we got like Ulfenkarn via the you know the Curse City and and the the Virkos are I mean they, they feel like something everyone will recognize who likes vampires from like a sort of lore perspective in terms of like meta lore but then you have this this unique AOS spin and I think that's where AOS is at its best is when they're taking something that's like a, a traditional myth, mythological or folklore sort of trope and just kind of cranking it to 11 and, and, and investigating it and taking it to these like logical mythic conclusions. And they, they've done that for me with vampires. And I think that that's, I mean, that's, we've that's spent, we've spent, but six years now, mm-hmm. about six years now I'm going into, yeah, playing, uh, an undead, um, game, which with the exception of now when the Bone Reapers came out and when the night when the Night Haunt came out, because that was something different. Even the the Ghoul Kings. The Ghoul Kings were things we already had before. Just right. they got they got a they got a slightly different twist. And then we were playing with Manfred, Nefrata, Archon. Like these are all characters from the old now we have characters and lore that is mortal realms characters and lore. Yes. Yeah, I mean, and 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 I know that like Vlad von Karstein's one of my like absolute favorites. Well, sure, you know, but and so like as like an, a Vlad stand, there's that small part of me that wanted to see like Vlad come back or or Aberash come back, but then I got really really distracted by how absolutely awesome Radiker is <laughs> because like, he like, yeah. Like, like Radikur the Beast, like or as I like to call him, Radikur the Based. I'm like, I forgot what I was talking about a, a couple seconds ago. Look at this model. This is amazing. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, it just comes through. Like you look at it and you're like, wow, this is fantastic. I kind of had the same idea. I um, this we're going to be covering pretty much the lore today, um, but it opened up in a way that uh, and and even gave me some insights to some of the older characters that I didn't quite feel in this in this uh in up to this point well even within like the broken realms uh stories um you know we've had we have a loose idea of what all the different archons have been doing for nagash especially like by way of the legions of nagash battle tome before but they've got agency and identity right now which is the most important thing to do for a faction when you were talking about and we were addressing the bubble here again um when you're talking about Legions of Nagash, the identity of that was like, hey, it's everything. And that, you know, Miyazaki, who, who does Studio Ghibli, I don't know how, how nerdy... Uh, uh, no, I know the, Studio, yeah. The, the, the tools are here, but uh, Chat Gang's a pretty pretty nerdy. Um, <laughs> and Miyazaki has this thing where, where he's asked, like, why do you always make, you know, stories about magic little girls? And he said, when you make something for everybody, you find no one. I'm, and I'm paraphrasing. And when you make something with a specific person in mind, you find your audience. And and I think that that's kind of what what is necessary. Like you know what 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 does Iron Jaws do that that some other armies you know you could you could point to don't necessarily do. Iron Jaws have a very 
distinct identity like they smash and they bash and they're here to fight right like and and that's what these vampires have is identity like they're pulling in some of the tropes that you love like the little bit of castlevania a little bit of bloodborne but but they're making it distinctly their own thing and i think that's the most important thing to do and yeah they've got some of that like lineage the cover even for this book is a throwback to i think it's vampire count seventh edition you know yeah um, so like there's there's that nod to the lineage of you know vampires in Warhammer, which I think is necessary because you know respect respect the, respect your past, respect where you came from. But now they're like, okay, so like here's this nod to the past. We know we stand on the backs of giants, but we stand al- we stand alone, and I really love that. Right. No, I I I agree with you 100. percent I think that this this book is giving me something interesting, something different, um, and um. And we can, and we'll talk about that uh, as as we delve into it. But it's something that it's 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 kept my interest, you know. And I picked it up, you know. A lot of times you're like, okay, I'm going to know most of this stuff that's in this book. I've I've read, I've played this army, you know. This is the fourth or fifth iteration. Where are the little new bits? And it's mostly new bits, which is what's really wonderful. Yeah, I mean they they um the war scrolls themselves like almost tell a story in in their own right. Um, you know, like the difference between skeletons and zombies now, and I know you do lore and war separately, but, mm-hmm. um, they tell you how to play them effectively. Like the skeletons regen after, like basically the, the way the skeletons regen is they want you to like take a punch first and then they regen yes. and the zombies want you to deliver the punch and then they regen. And they, they even like tell you, they're telling you how to play with these, these for many intents and purposes, older concepts or older models, like you got it, you got to represent the shambling undead. You know, it's it's like when you're looking at like people who would like death armies. You got your 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 fans of like ghosts and grim reapers, and you got your fans of these like these super skeleton, super shredder, you know, he man crazy over the top like us here, bone reapers. But there's always going to be the people who want their like vampires and that they want their like traditional sort of army of darkness, you know, shambling dead. And and this is that's what you know. They've car- I think they've carved out a really nice niche. Um, Death players may have noticed some some parts still missing. Uh, I hope that that means that they they've future proofed themselves to allow for like to explore death further down the line. But as far as like, hey, vampires supported by shambling dead. I mean, this is this is for me. It's a home run. Yeah. Yeah, and like I said, we'll get into a lot of that when we start to get into the different the different bits of the lore here. But they really did uh they did step it up and they made everything distinct. It's not just a bunch of, you know, well, these undead have skin and these don't. It's that's there's a huge difference that it's not that. And the lore really kind of brings that out and I think that when we get into it it'll it'll be more obvious. But I I'm really excited. Well, and 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 the uh, like sort of figureheads of the various um, you know, sort of bloodlines, right? So that's a concept that, that you know, isn't, you know, that goes back to blo- uh, vampire counts, right? Um, the, the bloodlines kind of have, like, their own agency, like, their ambitions, like, what they're trying to do. And right. we saw that start with Manfred with the Broken Realm story. He's like, hey, I, I'm i out to do a thing now. And you're like, wait a second, I thought Manfred was just kind of this support character on the side that people loved or hated. And you're, oh, oh, wow. Like, and then as you start to read your you're like, oh, okay, cool. Like, look at them trying to affect the mortal realms, and I think that that's as important. Exactly. All right, well, let's jump into our break. We'll take our first break. We're going to come back, and then we're going to dive into the Midnight Aristocracy and get into the get into the history about uh, about these guys. We'll be right back. 
That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chessex Dice and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. We are back. Here we are. We are here talking Soul Blight Grave Lords. Um, all right, so the 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 intro um, little quick rehash here before you get to the cutesy page of pictures. They got this sort of you know you get the two page intro to the army in general, and then you get a uh, a big beautiful gorgeous picture with a little quote on the bottom before it starts jumping in the stuff. Um, this you know this is very comfortable. This is comfortable uh, material here. Just talking about you know just what what the uh, Soulblight Gravelord army is, you know? Um, what I really like in this beginning is when it starts to talk about uh, vampires specifically. Because we didn't really... I mean, the old book talked about Manfred and Neferata, but it didn't go into vampirism in general. Mm-hmm. And because of what's going on in the book now, and spoilers for anyone who hasn't, you know, who hasn't been listening to the last four or five episodes... But Archon is knocked off a realm. We're not certain where he is at the moment, mm-hmm. and um, Nagash has been uh, been debodied again. Um, he's 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 fine. I mean, this this happens from time to time, and yeah, and uh, and I, I can I can I go conspiracy theory for one quick second? Sure. About okay. I if if people who did read the Broken Realm, so they they've been listening to your excellent show here. They're all caught up. Why? Thank you. Um, Nagash essentially like beat a goth phase into Teclas. Uh yeah. <laughs> uh what if what if he made Teclas like a Horcrux now? Oh no. <laughs> oh like all part of Nagash's grand scheme. He's like he's like, man, you know what would be really awesome is if this god of magic dude, uh you know, I somewhat hell uh, you know, I just give him a little stabby. And uh, now uh, some of my power is imprinted on him for the future super <laughs> top secret evil plan. Okay. So Nagash is going to be fine is all I'm saying. He's- oh, yeah. Well, we all know he's going to be fine. You can't kill him. I mean, he's just he's basically I mean, he's he is literally the undying king. So he can only be delayed, not uh, not stopped. Um, but it talks about how they are not inherently evil. Um, some have honor, compassion, but those are the rare ones. A majority of them, um, they see the living just as you know, food or slaves. Um, what's interesting is when you get into this part that vampires just need to dominate, where they just need to, um, they need to destroy. Hold on one second. Oh, okay. Pardon me, that was a mistake. Um, so what uh, what I like in here is that it says how they are all 
you know, they have this lust to dominate, and this is this is something that they got from Nagash. Like this is part of his influence. Um, and then there's this great part that it just says, as long as they ultimately obey, Nagash cares little for the machinations of individual vampires. Though their capacity for independent thought can render them fractious, it also ensures the Soul Blight dynasts number among his most cunning and creative generals. So there's this whole thing of like he knows they're plotting against him, mm-hmm. and he's okay with that, um, as long as it winds up ultimately benefiting him. Like they're culling themselves, they're keeping themselves sharp. Because um, that's the one thing I always wonder is like, why does he put up with Manfred being Manfred? Well, Manfred gets the job done. Is when, at the end of the day, like throughout the lore, it's like he Nagash is really good at like he's got that Hades sort of Dante's Inferno style of punishing things, right? Like we see this a lot with with the uh, with a uh, Night Haunt. Oh yeah. Uh, Manfred's ultimate punishment is is he's sort of trapped in his own ambitions, like forever t- toiling like Nagash is punishing Manfred that's part of why he keeps it around but like he gets to he gets the job done yeah uh, and they actually talk about see but that's what I, that's why I'm what I'm saying is what I really enjoy about this book is we get into those bits mm-hmm, you know yeah. where they're he's willing to the, the the authors here are willing to be like look this is kind of how the background goes yeah I mean if you really upset eventually if he needs to he will just be you know Nagash is going to do a couple of things. And, and then it's like, okay, if he reaches his ultimate goal, is he going to allow them to have that freedom if there's nothing else to conquer? Probably not. Okay? So why does he put up with it now? Like you said, because it because they get the job done. Although the last few books I've read, Manfred always doesn't get the job done. You, that's <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's doing... He does a got, lot. Yeah, he's got his schemes. I think Nagash maybe sees a little of himself in, in Manfred. In a word, Nagash is ambitious, right? Like the, oh, his yeah. whole thing has been his ambition. It's 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 so all-consuming that it even percolates down into the soul blight sort of plague, right? Like he's just his this this ambition. You called it this need to sort of conquer, right? And the the soul blight kind of have that, and yeah, it's it's this this ambition personified to a to a cruel and inhuman. Uh, you know, exaggeration the way like a Greek myth tends to explore these sort of thoughts. Yeah, and and that's that's what's really that's what gets fun as you're reading this. Um, it's just that idea that okay, I'm going to let you have your fun, and 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 why wouldn't he? You know, you think about it, it's like why does he put up with it? Well, what what are they actually going to do? Are they ever going to actually be able to kill him and and get him out of the way? I, I suppose it's possible. But the point is, he can basically stop them in their tracks if he wants to, and I think that that and we all know it. Uh, Nagash is, is is nothing if not overly confident, mm-hmm. and I think that becomes part of it. It's like, oh yeah, okay, do what you want, because if you really do upset me, I will just I will just pop your skull. Yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> I will just pick you up like a dandelion root and pop the little flower right off the top there. Boop, you're done. Yeah, um, yeah. and with that kind of confidence, let them. Um, so let's jump in now. The stuff now. There's the re- rehash about uh, you know Unagash is. Um, one of the things that I did like in this little section is right in the second column, where he's conquering Shyish. Uh, because and if if you're if you're new to this and you don't understand the realm of Shyish, um, it's the it, this I think is the weirdest or one of the most fascinating realms because. 
it seems to be the most affected by all the other realms. Yeah. Because, yeah, because if you have a, a religious belief, if you have a, a belief in the afterlife and there's enough of you who believe it, a an afterlife for you will manifest itself in the realm of death. Yeah. And so it's constantly changing because as your as as your civilization wanes, as the people who believe what you believe wane, as when there's nobody left to believe what you believe, your civiliz your your afterlife in in uh, in Shayesh will go away. Yeah, you know, and that's crazy. Like it's like okay, this is really interesting. It's so affected by all these different groups and different things. And there are actual and with enough belief, there are actual death gods in the realms that 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 are created through the beliefs of these people. Now well, Nagash is just going through and subjugated them all yeah, like punks. Yeah, like were, were right? Yeah. <laughs> by, by the time of our story, he's uh, asserted himself as like sort of the singular death god. But you're yeah. Um, I, I like that they go through as like uh, they sort of do a like last time on DBZ type thing, and they kind of catch you up. To... <laughs> Previously on Lucifer, like <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Like they, they kind of like do that. They catch you up, um, you know, through the. It, I mean, what what that does is that means you know you parachute into Age of Sigmar right now. You you looking around at the armies you want to play, you decided to, to you know hey man I love vampires I'm going to play Soulblight Gravelords. You open this up. Two pages in, you get the like the DBZ or the the Lucifer flashback, right? Like uh-huh. it tells you where you're at, and and that's really cool because you know sometimes we have these like sort of we don't have like a, a literal timeline with Age of Sigmar like we've had in in, in uh, older things, and so I think it's a really sort of organic narrative, almost like an oral tradition way of of keeping you in this. Oh yeah, it's almost like Age of Sigmar itself takes place in its own Age of Myth, you know. Um, Oh, sure. I mean, you had the Age of Myth, and then you had the Age of Chaos, and now you have the Age of Sigmar, and eventually there's going to be a new age after that, and this is going to be one of those, the, 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 you know, the, the story, the, you know, the, the times before, you know? You're yeah. going to get to a yeah. new age. Now, in this thing with Nagash in the second column, uh, the reason I brought up him going through and destroying all the other death deities uh, it says here, many other death deities held sway over the underworlds, but over the centuries, almost all were consumed by Nagash. Only Morda, master of the bleak raven, worshipped in the city of Lethus, is rumored by some to have escaped. What? What is happening? Like when they, I love this has become my pleasure because I've, I've been doing this now long enough and I've read it. I, I read every I read the lore from every one of these. Uh, battle tomes that comes out, and you get used to stuff. And now it's become okay. I'm con- I'm I'm already know this. What little nugget did they drop that I didn't hear before, or that I that I forgot about? Yeah. Because what you're telling me, there's another death god running around in Shyish somewhere. There there is because there's a story there that they could yep. just you know. And I love well, looking for what they plant early. Well, that's that's the brilliance of the sort of. Uh, the the sort of like unreliable narrator, right? I think is the the mortal realms guys like to to honk on. Yeah, oh yeah, but, um, yeah, I, yeah. That's definitely the unreliable narrator. Like, but but the unreliable narrator trope that they use leaves them room to art- artistically explore Age of Sigmar. Like, there's nothing 
I mean, no, nothing against like the the world that was or or old or, or or older Warhammer or anything like that. But like, it's it's felt kind of like constrained to its reality, which is its own type of benefit, right? People really enjoy like being able to pop out that timeline and look at it. But I really like the sort of cerebral aspect Age of Sigmar takes, where like every, no, there are no fixed barriers on stuff, and it's kind no. of breathing and expanding because you can throw in something like this line, and everyone's like, okay, yeah, like they're just like you're just subconsciously on board with it because the nature of how the the age of sigmar story is unfolding every battle tome's written like propaganda uh all you know and 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 well they should be and they have been for a long time in fact i actually teach uh in one of my lit classes when i used to and i was teaching some makeup lit i had and i had to teach uh i also picked uh i was teaching a short story class see i didn't Um, know you did this Oh, yeah. Sorry, this is not Rankcast. I won't tell you, take you off script. Wow, I no, didn't no. know you were. Uh, see, I'm, I'm, I was an English. I majored in English lit. Analysis of text and stuff like that is like my jam. No, uh, I, teach, go, go I, I started teaching humanities and drama, but my degree is in teaching English. I teach senior lit yeah. right now. But when we would well, teach, props, man. when I would teach, uh, like America, you know, second semester, you always get. Hey, anyone want to get an extra? Get paid extra? Take an extra class because we need a. We need another English course for all the seniors who just failed first semester English so they can graduate on time. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I would be teaching that, and I would love to teach the unreliable narrator because it's like you get through the story and you realize that you've got to really pay attention to what people are saying to you and where are the contradictions come in. It teaches the students to be critical of just not take everything they read at face value and to try to pay attention to what's being said so when there's contradictions, you go, wait a minute, what about that? And then you see little bits like this, and I'm like, oh, this is so great. you know. Or when you get – I love when you get – um, like if I think the best example is if you read the Deepkin book, mm-hmm. and then you read the Lumineth Realm Lords book, or any of the Teclas stuff. Because when you read the Realm Lords stuff, Teclas feels real bad about what happened to them. Mm-hmm. Like he like he realizes he kind of lost it and stuff like that. He's just you know, but but he feeling bad doesn't mean that he wouldn't have done it again because they were they you know they were messed up. You read mm-hmm. their book and he, it, it's like it's you know. Teclis is coming in all red eyed and, and twirly mustached and coming in like you're all gonna die. And they're yeah. like, We have to hide from him. And in their book is like, dude, I tried. It was the first one I did. It really didn't work well. I was just trying to help him. And you get these two different points of view. And yes. this and especially and I what I look forward to and what I like in this book is that because each of these major characters is so on their own page. Everybody in this, I mean, I know Neferat is the queen of of all the d- double dealing, backstabbing, plans within plans, but they all do it. Yeah. And they all know they're, it's a, they're all lying. They all know the other one's lying. They're just trying to figure out what the lie is. It reminds you of that stupid Rick and Morty episode where they do the heist. Where everybody, oh, yeah. everybody is like, okay, but you thought, but I, I yep, yeah, but I already knew it, and I double crossed you. Yes, but I've just triple crossed you. Well, then consider a quadruple cross because I was planning on it. This is what <laughs> happens with these guys, and it's fantastic. Yes, yeah, a thousand percent. So I mean, it even gets in here. Oh, and the other thing that I loved is, I guess, I guess Neferata and Manfred didn't make it out of the world that was. I kind of thought they survived, but here it's like, no, Nagash just needed servants. And of all the servants he had that were the ones he could use the best, I mean, he brought Archon through with him. It didn't seem like he needed to reconstitute Archon. But he's like, yeah, he just resummoned them, just gave them their bodies back. And their spirit. Neferod is one of those characters that just, uh, she's, she's got a really good arc, right? 
from from the world that was into here and 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 she has that ability to like topple civilizations from within which is exactly the kind of the, the kind of person Nagash needed for his plans right and then and then you've got Manfred the sort of you know mm-hmm. this tactically duplicitous sort of uh guerrilla warfare style uh shock uh, you know uh, mm-hmm. vanguard type and uh and Ushorin which I totally when I like Ushorin wait what who and I was like, oh wait, that's the guy that formed uh, the the um, flesh eater courts. The flesh eater courts, yeah. and it's just great to see him mentioned here. Like that was the three he grabbed. He grabbed a complete beast, a complete tactician, and someone in the middle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and Ushorn was a complete just fell apart. Like this didn't work. Um, but yeah, he brings them in and he's got them all for his plans, and it's just, um. It's just great. Plus the fact that they know it's like they're all in that cage and they know they're in the cage and they're working in the cage, but their whole plan is to get out of the cage. And he knows their plans. Once again, everybody knows what everyone else is trying to do and almost like pretending like maybe they don't notice that that's what the other one's trying to do. It's 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 so much fun to to read with these. And we haven't even gotten to any of the new characters. We're still just in the old characters. And we're stuck, and we're still into all of this. Well, it, and and then there's that agency thing again. You know, when you read LON book, it's it's you know like the, the other characters are kind of mentioned. This this puts the narrative focus on these these vampires right on this page where we're focused on you know Neferata and mm-hmm. and uh, and Manfred with a cool nod to Usheren. But yeah, yeah, and that's and that's like I said, and I think that's important. I think that I, I'm glad that Nagash gets his one page in the beginning. And of course he gets mentioned throughout it because he's still there's still this sense of control. But now that he's now that he's been now that his body's been pulverized and he's back to spirit form and having to reform time. Uh, all part of the plan. All part of the plan. All part yeah. of the plan. Um <laughs> well cuz yeah, part of the now you know what this he's taking a vacation. This is how he takes vacation. He can't just say I'm leaving cuz they'll screw around. Yeah. But now oh. it looks like this, and now they're all going to vie for power. This is a back to them letting them use all their uh, tactics on each other. You know, it the the, the kettle's about to boil. I'm going to step back and let it boil over a bit and get rid of this. The and, and let them let them clean house. Mm-hmm. I bet you that. Yeah. I think you're right. I think that's the plan. He lost on purpose to Teclas. Let's uh, yeah, we're going to go with that. Totally on purpose. Yeah, it, it was, was totally. On, I meant to do that. <laughs> I meant to be crucified and beaten by the by the. And I had oh. to. You know, he had to sell it. Yeah, That's what it yeah. was. He had to sell it, yeah, because yeah. he he and, and, he bamfed into that bubble and was beating yeah. the tar out of him, and then suddenly it was like, oh no, we're back here. Oh, would you? Go? Oh, you? Oh, the the light the light cannons. No, no light cannons. Oh, you got me. That's I think that's what it was. I think you're to right. To be fair, a lot of that was Alarial's help. It wasn't like just tackless. So you don't want to give tackless too much credit for things. Oh no! Uh, in this house, we give him credit for pretty much everything. So <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, oh, so let's look through this. Oh, um, now if you don't know the history, you can go through the Battle for Souls, and this is this is the stuff. Now it does once again. And this is another one where you get Sigmar's take on it, and then you get Nagash's take on it. Sigmar's like, hey, you didn't show up when you were supposed to show up and help. And now Sigmar, and I love the fact that Sigmar is rampaging through half the reason that Archeon was able to take down Nagash, uh, or that Nagash was allowed Archeon to take him down and, and let him yeah. think he had the upper hand, um, was, was helped by Sigmar. 
by just raging through and trashing his armies as he was running through to get him. It's like, you know, we probably could have held this place longer, except you trashed half my armies. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, well, you didn't show up to that party, and that makes me mad. The Just the, the, the once again, the two sides to this whole argument um, yeah. is just so much fun to read. Uh, let's see. And so it's a very human story too, which mm-hmm. is what's what's interesting. Like you, you know, like these these are two gods opposed to each other, but you're like, man, isn't that just like every argument or disagreement you've had with somebody? <laughs> like, you can especially always... when you're that sort of that <laughs> and, close. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when you're that that close, especially, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, oh, and also, I didn't realize. Like, okay, now we all know, or we all know, if if you know the story. Uh, when Nagash reformed in the realms, in the mortal realms, you know, the world that was blowed, blows up, all the magic from the eight winds of magic that bursts out of this explosion coalesces into the eight realms. And as it coalesced, Nagash was in sort of his own realm of death. Because remember, at the end, he went down. It, at the end, in, in the end times, Nagash steps off the board after being reformed, goes into the realm of death, and just starts devouring all the death gods, the different gods of death in the realm of death. Yep. And then the world ends. So he... I'm like, how did he get trapped under a mountain? Because that just makes... You know what I'm saying? You're reading like, wait, it, really, Nagash? Yeah. Like, couldn't he dig his... Like, he's undead. Isn't that what they do? They dig their way out of their graves. <laughs> Why? Like, it made no sense that for decades... He was stuck there. And then as I was reading this, it's like, oh, no, no. He formed on the edges of the realm. And so he was under a mountain of basically sort of almost like grave sand and stuff. Yeah. The magic there was so powerful, it was it was canceling out his ability to do what he does best. So he was. It was like, oh, crap. I am stuck under the absolute one thing I can't be stuck on. This is like, this. They literally, he was under a mountain. It was like Superman under a mountain of kryptonite. It was like, oh, really? This is what I got, like, of all the places to get stuck. Right. right. So then Sigmar does have to come sort of get him out, and you know that galls him. You know that just Oh, the, yeah. And he's, and he's, the one of the things I love about Nagash is he cannot live down any even hint that maybe he is not the most powerful like you know this gnaws at the back of his head you know every time he sees sigmar he's like i bet you sigmar's just think here you look at it look at that face gloating that you dug me out of that thing thousands of years ago and you know sigmar's like you know barely ever thinks about it at all unless nagash really starts to upset him and then he's thinking i should have just left you under that damn mountain but that's like the only thought but you know it just gets into him because he can't even seem like he ever had a moment of weakness. It just irritates him so much. And I love that's, that about him. Yeah, I mean, that speaks to the the sort of like, you know, Nagash for all his posturing and and ambition. And he, he's sort of like, one of the reasons I like him as a character is that he is this this personification, like I said earlier on, of ambition. And, and like, just the guy who went after everything he's ever wanted and it's never good enough. Yeah. And he's forever kind of haunted by his humanity for all his posturing, for all his, uh, measured success in, 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 in terms of like what he's achieved. Like he, he's went from just being a priest to now he's the inventing necromancy. effectively now he's immortal. Now he's a God. Like he's, he's a, a lot of stuff with Nagash's character. He has been the sort of self-driven self-made deity self-made thing and you have this one moment that this this great pox on him that it wasn't something he did himself right and and that would 
for this type of person who you you take the the best of humanity, the worst of humanity, and you crank it up to eleven, and that's kind of a god, right? Right. And and he's just it's 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 exactly the thing that would 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 just get under his skin, wouldn't it? If, for this type of character. Oh sure. Absolutely. Um, they also talk about the Soul Wars. And this first, this, on this the, the page, what is this page? I don't know. It's on the Battle for Souls, page 11. Uh, it goes into this huge, big first paragraph about the Soul Wars. I didn't quite understand exactly. Like, I guess I wasn't picturing it right in my head. I knew he had made the upside-down Black Pyramid. I knew he did the spell. I didn't realize that the pyramid basically turned itself into a drill and drilled into the crust of the realm. And then, so... Nagashazar and the Black Pyramid itself are no longer really visible. They're at the bottom of the nadir. They are at the yeah, at the like... at, at the tiny bottom point of this whirlpool, and like nothing can really stay there anymore. Even Nagash yeah. can't stay there all the time. Yeah, it's like a it, it's like a whirlpool is a really good metaphor. It, it reminds me of like a crucible, or when they show like a singularity in like mm-hmm. Star Trek, right? Like yeah, it all narrows down to that point. Yeah, and that's where his that's where his place is. Um. Because I remember even when you looked at this, when they showed the map, I'm like, where's Nagashazar? How come it's not showing on the map? I'm like, oh, because it's in the middle of that. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's in the middle of the... Na- okay. Um, I think it's really fascinating how they you know, fundamentally rewrote the laws of magic, draws, draws it in as a whirlpool, um, but it's this hopelessness that they talk about in this part that I really grab my attention as hopelessness set in across the underworld. It's drift towards the nadir would accelerate. And Nagash was quick to capitalize on this and his undead armies fought to break the will of these mortals in the amethyst realm as much as they did to conquer speeding up the process by which the underworld and the souls therein would become one in him. Okay. Uh, it also talks about how, <laughs> When he finds himself Olinder and Catacross, uh, uh, that that sort of spurred Manfred and Neferata. Like, oh wait, you got more now. There's more, more Tarks. Like, what? Uh, that that sort of jealousy. He knows how to play them. He really does know how to play them against each other. And and getting new more Tarks in to do new jobs really did sort of. Um, Sort of, it caused some some strife and some trouble, but it was really some great stuff. But I, I, this this section right here, reading about this and how the hopelessness drags them in quicker, makes what Teclis did in the Teclis book for um, Broken Realms make so much more sense. Yeah, he shows up with a Superman hope emblem and <laughs> well, exactly, to, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And tags them all down, but it makes sense now. And it makes sense with what's going on. And I really, really like that quite a bit. Um, and then this is the bit I'm going to do this next couple bits and we'll take a quick break. Um, and th- th- if you want to read more about this, it's that realm of death stuff. It's unique. And this is what we were talking about earlier. Uh, as bleak continents are known, each is fashioned from the mythical concept of an afterlife held by creatures throughout the realms. It talks about how ho- as hopelessness sets in, it slides towards the nadir. Um, then there are those places that are a testament to the price of... They talk about Shadespire in here, which isn't sliding in because Nagash won't let it slide into the nadir because if it slides in, the punishment will stop. Here's a guy <laughs> Here's a guy who just it doesn't believe in ever... like that ever being punished enough. Well, I mean, th- that feels like projection a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. 
doesn't it, like he it, i don't know like it, it it is a little bit of the dante's inferno he's a professional he takes his job very seriously and he is a death god after all and death gods you know uh, he was really fixated on the punishment aspect of the afterlife, though. <laughs> well, because even like, but his whole point is to drag all of these realms into the and suck all their power and make him, you know, give him all the power, right? But here's this city, and he's like, you know, he 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 does something that, as we've already said, fundamentally changes the nature of magic in the realm. He takes all the magic from the edges where it's supposed to be, focuses it in the center, re. The whole realm becomes a completely different place because of him. And the point is to suck all this in, to get all this in, to bring death to all the realms, and then everything will be one in Nagash. Except for those guys there, because <laughs> they made that soul glass stuff. You're going to suffer forever. I know I said I want everything. I'm going to do without you, though. Just and for no other reason than F you. That's why. Like, Despite, this is, yeah. it, it's so. And, it's so wonderful. You could, say, you could say Nagash is throwing some shade there, really. Uh, oh. <laughs> okay, is that where we're going? Okay. Yeah. As, as long as I know that's where we're going, we're good. It's just I had yeah. to understand it there. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I like to talk about Manfred's legacy, uh, it, it is a, his um, in Karstinia, because they talk about their, their own different realms. Um, he, he runs Karstinia. He's got all this stuff there. It's it's a weird description though. It, it says that it's a land of creeping forests and cloying bogs, where artifacts torn from a thousand conquered nations lie scattered beside ill-maintained dirt roads. Like he he conquers people and just like it, what there's just stuff laying. Like he doesn't. It's like he doesn't care about these conquests. He doesn't care about the 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 treasures from afterwards. Like it's a sort of an emptiness there. Right. He, the the like his he has this empty ambition. Like he wants to excel and do all this stuff but it's not the prize for him isn't the spoils of conquest which is a really fun little contrast mm -hmm. well it even says here in truth he cannot abide to remain in Carstinia for long as it is but a mocking echo of past glories he never truly achieved a cruel jest on Nagash's part once again that whole thing where he un he gets what it is mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and he doesn't even like to be there because let's face it we know who built Carstinia and it was Vlad. Right. And Manfred was always the smaller brother. When v when Vlad was finally gone and he took over, he never quite reached that. He he never lived up to his brother's rep. Right. You, you know? Uh, right. And and it's just... If well, even, even Conrad had the decency to sort of martyr himself, right? And Manfred right. was just... Yeah. Uh, but Manfred did so much to mess with Conrad. Yeah. <laughs> Right. I, I remember reading the the vampire trilogy that they wrote, and Conrad's ha hearing like all the ravens are coming and telling him that Manfred's coming or Manfred's back or you're not really, and telling him that he's crazy and just pushing already unstable Conrad over the edge. And then as all this is happening, you think that what is all these weird omens? Oh no, it was Manfred doing all of that because he knows his he knew his brother's weakness well enough. Yeah. To know that if I just keep pushing at him with weird omens. He's going to crack all on his own. Right. I yeah. miss Conrad. I really do miss He Conrad. was fun, and he was in that Dark Omens like PlayStation 1 game, which uh -huh. was a kind of a blast. A uh, little, little throwback there. I, I loved that game. That was excellent. 
And he, but he just had so much fun rules too when you would play him because he was completely unreliable because he almost had like it was practically like rolling for orc animosity in the old game. Like he just yeah. it was yeah. just like you never knew if he would just totally lose it and just go off on doing something else chasing butterflies because he was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So um we get a, a little information on what the underworlds are like, and once again, we're going to be focusing. And I love when they do this; they show you the big picture of the entire, you know, the sort of the the realm of death, and you can see the nadir in the center. And then they're like, and "Here's this little tiny patch of it that we're going to discuss in in this book right now, because this is this is where these guys are, and it's just this little tiny piece of it." And then they zoom in on it, and you're like, "There's nothing little about this. This is bigger. <laughs> the, this little once again, the the one." small slice of any one of these mortal realms a tiny slice of it is so much larger than the entire world that was if you think about like i mean they're they're all worlds unto themselves with worlds within you think about like in terms of like an rpg campaign that you would play in you could play for years and years and years in like one on one continent in one realm yep and never and never run out of material Never, never. It's fantastic. All right, so here, it's break time. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, we're going to jump into sort of the hierarchy and some of the different legions, the legions of night, the different legions of blood, and the different dynasties, because there's so much here. We'll be right back. Few battles exemplify Manfred's genius better than the one fought at Rotsol Mire. Here, the Mortark's army slaughtered the Flyblown Legion, a contagion of Rotbringers who had spread their grandfather's noxious gifts across many an underworld, to the last man. Other undead generals had attempted to engage the Nurglites on more favorable ground, only to be overcome by the Rotbringers' pox-blessed weapons. Manfred took a different tack presenting the glory-seeking champions of Nurgle with an irresistible opportunity to slay a Mortark on marshy ground that favored their warriors. Manfred, however, knew the terrain well from centuries of rulership. Beneath Rotsolmire was a hidden realm gate to Akshi, through which bright magic ebbed and flowed, periodically turning the swamp into a boiling sludge. As the fly-blown legion pursued the apparently fleeing Mortark, they were suddenly set upon by hordes of zombies emerging from beneath the stagnant surface, their flesh already too blackened to harbor new strains of infection. Even as they were dragged down by scores of grasping hands and began to boil in their rusted armor, the veteran Rotbringers still had the best of the fighting. But Manfred was not finished. The mountain's ringing Rotsol Mire were the hunting grounds of Vargais packs that Manfred permitted to feast in his domain in return for their allegiance. They rallied to his call now, falling upon the rear of the Flyblown Legion in a storm of tearing fangs and leathery wings. Manfred himself rode at their head, annihilating the grand Rotprovost Festerbelch in a storm of etheric death energies. To slay such a champion ingloriously from afar well-suited the Mortark's spiteful temperament. 
New Lamia is one of the greatest vampiric capitals of the realms, and thus it is unsurprising that so many bearing the Soul Blight curse make it their lair. Many come seeking the personal favor of Neferata, offering their terrifyingly effective combat prowess for the queen to wield at her discretion. These vampiric warlords and knights are amongst the most skilled in all the realms, perhaps rivaled only by the blade lords of the Castelle dynasty, a fact that weighs bitterly on both sides. There are also those vampires who were sired by the masters of New Lamia and who have spent many mortal lifetimes enjoying the luxuries of Neferata's court. All but the most bestial of vampires can detect the subtle differences between blood derived from varying sources, sampling it as a sommelier would a casket of fine gyronite wines. But New Lamians are particularly refined in this field. The city hosts a great many of the consumption-obsessed sanguinarchs who view the battlefield as a chance to blend gory flavors spiced with warlike emotion. The courtiers of Nulamia are not so far removed from their mortal lives that they do not still scheme for power, however. The gilded halls of the Palace of Blood are as much a hotbed for skullduggery and scandal as any mortal equivalent. Still, Neferata tolerates this only in so much that it does not interfere with her greater aims. While most Gravelord armies may have one or two vampires at their head, those hailing from the Legion of Blood tend to be commanded by entire covens. Particular courtiers will be assembled and dispatched by Neferata to oversee her complex schemes, ensuring that their ambitions play against one another. Whether riding upon enchanted divans and palanquins, or soaring atop majestic undead drakes, these vampires fight as a lethal concentration of force that revels in the chance to satiate their gory hunger. know what I'm talking about, so I'm just going to shut up and go on to the next part. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, Lords of Night. Every vampire ultimately descends from the dark triad of Neferata, Manfred, and Ushorin. Um, and that's, that. I mean, that's their, they were the first, you know, ones from, they're the first ones in, the, the only ones in this realm. Apparently, there were no other vampires in the realm. That's an interesting thing, too. There were no vampires in the mortal realms. I mean, there right. weren't any in the in the world that was until Neferata, you know, stole Nagash's books and uh, and went through them and, and, and accidentally turned herself into a vampire. Right. But so because some, there's got to be that first thing that happens that creates them, you're you're in you're in immortal realms that for eons have had no vampires, and then he brings these in. Well, there's there is a caveat to that. We'll get to a little bit later on. Right. There is one caveat. There's one bloodline where you're like these might not be able to trace it back to, uh, uh, like Neferata and stuff like that. Right. Right. And because of the their legends and their lore. But then again, it's all oral tradition. And once again, I don't know how reliable that story is. But who cares? Right. It's fun. Is it's it a fun. good story? Yeah. Okay. It's a good story. We'll go yeah, with that. Yeah. Never let the truth get in the way of telling a good story. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um. I also like that where they live. We all talked about how the mortal realms sort of form the people who live there. 
the mortal realms. If you live in Akshi, you're going to be more hot-tempered. Um, you know, people who live in different realms have different sort of uh, uh, characteristics. And it's the same thing with, with the vampires. The magics of the eight realms will alter the curses within them. I mean, it's not like any of them stop desiring blood, but the these different... All these dynasties we're going to read about came about not because... They were made this way, but because this is this is how they the 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 just the the all the magic in the realms this all of this uh, magic affects even these guys to where right. when they're created how they do things is going to sort of set this path for them and we get all these cool things because of the mortal realms which is great it ties it all in very nicely into the different realms they come from. Um, I do like when they talk a little bit about the White Kings and the undead hordes. How you've got you've got your Legion of Blood, which is Neferata. You got your Legion of Night, which is um, Manfred. Manfred. Yeah. Then you've got the, the the these different dynasties. But they start talking about the, the just the sort of the the different peoples that make up the uh, you know the the these armies. And this last big paragraph here on page sixteen. Um, the undead hordes and stuff, and then it talks about the White Kings. And though the lowliest White Kings are susceptible to a vampire sorcerer's control, the greatest are possessed of a will eagle, equal sorry, to any of Nagash's blood-sucking aristocracy. These rule their own deathless empires and send their subordinates to treat with uh, vampiric rulers of stature. Necromancers, meanwhile, are death mages, offered a less glorious but just as vital role to ensure that the undying armies remain filled with morbid vigor. So you've got some of these. These, these are the big important people who aren't vampires. They're bringing them in. They're mentioning them. Um, in fact, when we get to the White Kings, that's some of the coolest stuff because you realize these guys, they, they've got, they've got a, a big chunk of their old, um, you know, they're not mindless skeletons or mindless zombies who are just out there doing the the will of their master without any thought for themselves these 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 hero level ones are bringing those memories back which um which is always great and you knew they did that but they don't talk about it that much they constantly talk about the mindless hordes being summoned mm -hmm. um and it's nice to see that some of these happen and it's not the same as the bone reapers which is all the different bits of souls and things tied together you know, into one major one. Here you've just got, oh, yeah, I, I remember who I was. And yeah, I mean, with the, the White Kings especially, they're almost like revenants where they their their ambition unfulfilled or the spite of, of the circumstance of, of what they were trying to achieve and f either failing at or getting interrupted in. Or, you know, like... It, it, they time just runs out because they're mere mortals, but their ambition is immortal. So they, they res, you know, they come back as these as these whites and stuff like that. It's, I mean, it's really cool, and that speaks to uh, the identity with Osiric Bone Reapers feeling distinct and unique. And then even within within this book, we get the sort of like they're giving us the why of you know, why are white kings? Mm -hmm. What are they like? I like the idea of them treating with. Uh, with like vampires and stuff like that, and vampires who are trying to undermine each other and also trying to serve this sort of necro, necro utopia in the future when the whole when all the realms yeah. are bathed in darkness, right? Like their their sort of ideal state. You you can almost see them like okay, this white king with their own ambition lines up with my ambitions, but more importantly, their ambitions line up with like f 
Manfred more. So they like, like so they like work with this this character to kind of undermine another vampire and stuff. And I think it's just really cool. Well, and I like that it goes both ways too because the White Kings realize they are still summoned. They're not vampires and they're not necromancers and that really strong vampires and really strong necromancers could come in and just push and overtake their will like yeah. you know e- yes they are strong but there are vampires the eldest of the vampires are stronger than them you're not going to see manford or neferata unable to control a white king you know what i'm saying yeah. and so these guys are like i need strong friends like i do need allies because I need to make sure, yes, I've got your back, but I also want to make sure if I've got a vampire sort of patron, this other vampire next door isn't going to come in and just force me to do junk I don't want to do because I'm working with this one. There's a very intricate uh, group uh, or or workings of sort of treaties and stuff now between these different groups, and especially now that Nagash is is on vacation. Right. Yeah, vacation. Because yeah, now the that he's away. Yeah. Now that he's on vacation, there's nobody really watching the store and these guys now it's their chance. It's their chance to start. I mean, it actually says in here at some uh some point in here where it talks about how um now that he's on vacation, the the war between Manfred and Neferata is going to start. Now that there is nobody stopping those two it, it, they have been they have been they have been eyeballing each other for years. Since they since they came back, yes, to the, to the moral realms, really, like it's it. There's a basically a paragraph on that alone at the beginning of it. It's just like they've never liked each other. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> so I mean, it, it, but it's 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 great because when when Nagash is around, their hatred of each other almost almost ensures they work to serve his ultimate plan, right? Because. They're even trying if, to one-up each other and, and mess each other up. Even if they get together to do something, he knows that it's never going to be anything permanent or long-lasting. Yeah, okay, you can plot against me because Manfred is literally going to stab you in the back or you are going to have him distracted long enough to get your way. It's never going to work because yeah. you two are just awful. <laughs> it's awesome. It I'm is. Sorry, I, love, I, I love the. Uh, I love this so much. This this book and 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 death and the direction it's taking. Oh, me t- Yeah, it's, that's it's, the it's, thing. It's so awesome. That's you know, um, I've been playing with my night haunt army and playing with Harrison's um, realm lords, and I haven't. I, I I okay. I have not purchased anything new because I have most of this stuff. I haven't purchased yeah. anything new. But the new characters, like, I want them, but it's like, no, I promised myself I'd finish painting my Night Haunt. And now there's the motivation. Night Haunt will be finished and painted before I go and start finish redoing my death stuff. Because, like, you, you, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, you, you bringing up Night Haunt, I think, is, is something I, I failed to mention at the beginning, sort of read of this, is by sort of divorcing Night Haunt from Legions of, of Nagash and, and making Soul Blight the way they have, they've ensured that Night Haunt gets to maintain its identity, too. Right. Yes, I'm so glad because I got to be honest with you. I know people like to do because when the bu- when the box came out and there was only a few Night Haunt units, they're like, "Oh, you could play all of these with your Death Army." Mm-hmm. And then it became that weird Legion of Night or Legion of not Legion of Night, but whatever it was, Legion, Legion of Nagash. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But uh, no, whatever they called that, but it was in the one book where you could. Oh, mix. grief! Yeah, Legion, Legion of, grief. of grief. Yeah. And basically, I think a lot of people who were playing Night Haunt or had some Night Haunt just made Legion of Grief. I just. I want them to be their own thing, just like the, just like the you know the OBR are, just like the ghouls are. I want them to be their own thing, and this this really has drawn that separation now. That's yeah. not so much a thing anymore, and yeah, I'm kind of glad. You can, grant, 
if you want to do like the full Neapolitan, you want a more tech crawler and you want like all these stuff to like play, you really want to play with like a little bit of everything, you can Grand Alliance and Soul Blight allow you to ally in that like that unit of like spooky boys or spooky mm-hmm. ghosts to to really bring the visual all to all the way together but as a from a lore perspective you get this these distinct ambitions and roles and like the identity of the armies you know death is a monolith i i i like it and as for some reasons but also when you're talking about people picking up a game and trying to like find themselves sort of in it and you know especially since we paint our hobby we paint and we do do the hobby you're essentially putting yourself on the table you know when i put my army on the table i'm putting myself on that table yep and you want to be able to like have a a, a diverse group of people be able to kind of identify their favorite stuff or little bits of their personality you want them to be able to like look up and 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 just sort of survey all the different armies and then find the one that just resonates with them and then they 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 you know that when when you find that sort of resonant frequency it just amplifies up and you're always excited and you're always happy and then boom and now you're putting yourself on the table and and i i I like i like that night haunt gets to stand on its own a little bit more because there are people out there who just thoroughly love ghosts like some some of the night haunt fans that i talk to and stuff they're they're just as devout to night haunt as like i think orc players and seraphon players are traditionally like some of the very fervent Mm -hmm. player bases they're just as devout and just as fervent as them i i gotta be honest i have so much night haunt and and anyone who listens to the show knows i have way more night haunt than i'll ever need to play (laughs) but i love it and and i don't i don't play i don't mix them yeah like I, 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 because this is the ghost army. Like this is yeah. the ghost army. They're all ghosts. Yeah. I like the ghost. Now I love my zombies. Everybody knows I love my zombies. Everybody knows I love my skeletons. But I just, I'll, I've ever since it came out, I've really considered them two separate armies. And I love now that that this is happening. You can see this is vampires with wolves and bats and skeletons and zombies. This is that. You know, this is the this is the um, you know the universal horror monster sort of stuff coming together here, and yeah. then you've got that night haunt is something completely separate, and um, yeah. it does it gives it its own chance to, to thrive, as you said. Now let's let's spend a couple minutes talking about the Legion of Night because we know this one. I want to get through a couple of quick legions um, before we get to the new ones. Uh, no vampire controls as much raw military strength as Manfred von Karstein. And those who serve him are among the cruelest and most callous of their breed. He has come to appreciate a defining truth. No one is invincible or irreplaceable. Um, you know, and he, and he even thinks about that. He knows that Nagash has been beaten a few times. And that's every time Nagash is beaten, it bolsters his hope that he can free himself from him because he's just like... Ugh, I hate being under, you know, it's it's great. In fact, he says he's content to allow his subordinates to pursue their own desires as long as they bring misery to the living. Though when he himself rides at the head of his armies, he suffers nothing less than total obedience. Who does that sound like to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It sounds exactly like Nagash, doesn't it? Yeah, like, like I said earlier on, like he sees a bit of, I think Nagash sees a little bit of himself in Manfred, and I don't think Manfred himself has made the connection yet in a way where like you're resentful of a parent for a while when you're like sort of a, a rowdy teenager and then you go on to realize like oh i've been the i've been very much there like them all along right yep like, <laughs> yep yeah oh uh what else in here um 
He is the master of the conniving ploy and the dishonor. I love how they talk about he is the master of the dishonorable act that everybody knows. Uh, he's like he's like he's the Jack Sparrow of of Warhammer. He's Manfred von Karsing is a wild card who can only be trusted to be untrustworthy, uh, and everybody knows it. And I love how this section. I'm not going to go too deep into it. Just the idea that Manfred will do anything, and if you would look and be like, "Oh, that's low," or "Oh, that's out of line," or "Oh, that's cruel." There's no such thing as going too far. Mm-hmm. Okay, everybody's got that friend. You're in that group. That friend who will, the, the one guy who will always take it. That just take it too far. You got everyone's like, "Oh, dude, come on now. You just you took it. You made you took it fun and made it weird." Okay. <laughs> and everyone's yeah, got you, that. You you went too far and made the and made and ended our old game and made our new game. Like that's how far. He- <laughs> yeah, and and but that's but this is who he is. Everybody knows it. They're like. Oh, how did he, like, he did what? And it seems like here's a guy who will commit any atrocity to win. And to the point where other people are like, oh, like looking at him like, what you, how could you do that? He's like, what you, uh, you know, and he's, and he looks back and he's like, what do you mean you wouldn't have done it? I needed to do this to win. It's, 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 it's his biggest asset, his, his ability to not care right. about it, anything it, but winning. I mean, sometimes the only way to win is is to have that like that out that wild card that you know, and that's something that death is a like theoretically lacks because the desire to be a monolith and want no will but Nagash's own and stuff like that, and that puts him in a lot of our human stories we like to tell. Sometimes it's the the indomitable will to just do the crazy thing, right? And yep. Manfred brings that to the table. I, I used to be really down on Manfred, by the way, and the greatest crime Manfred ever committed was not being Vlad von Karstein. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> you're right. Though the, the the more I've read, and uh, especially I was reading the Broken Realm stuff, um, like I got like a real sense for Manfred now in a way that I I never really did before. I knew what Manfred did. You know, the zoomed out look. Manfred does this on a timeline, right? Like read the Wikipedia. Right. And you go, oh, these are all the things Manfred did. But I didn't know who Manfred was, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like, no, it makes sense. I had no idea, like, what the scope of, like, for me, he seemed like a sort of a sniveling coward who ran away constantly and mucked things up a little bit, and and then sort of like uh, Xanatos Gambit succeeded in yeah. the end. <laughs> yep. You know, and I'm just like, and I'm like, ah, grow. Like, I don't like that sort of categorically, like. That. Well, because they always put him up against Vlad, who was like, and Vlad was like, I mean, and literally, you take Vlad von Karstein, he's Dracula. Right. He's the aristocrat. He's forming a place. He hides the fact that he's a vampire. Okay. Um, anyone who's ever played the game Vampire the Masquerade, Vlad was very much a Camarilla vampire. And, uh, and Manfred is everything that's wonderful about the Sabbat. He is every, he's the near-dark vampires, right? He revels in what he is, and he's good at it. And let's face it, he outlasted his brother by forever. To to be fair, Vlad's to be arc fair. was like a love story, you know, yeah. like he, yeah. And you know, they're they're serving different a- angles. And one of the reasons I didn't want Vlad brought back was because of that love star- story. Like he had the perfect ending. For he did. Me. Um, you can bring back Isabella. I think she has more story to tell. But like She's Vlad's just story, nuts. It's wonderful. Yeah, but Vlad's story was done for me. Like I'm like, yeah, you know, end of, end of book. Uh, gives up his ultimately his immortality for the woman he loves more than anything in in all realms, right? right? And uh, I'm like, cool. But now, 
anyway, I, I don't want to go into too much of that. But yeah, so like for the longest time, like Vla, Vla, uh, Manfred's greatest crime to me was not being Vlad. But as I've read some like of the Broken Realm fiction, as I've went back and read a couple more things, and now with this book, I actually like Manfred a lot more than I ever did before. No, he's he's wonderful. He's he, go ahead, go ahead. No, go go t- go. What you were going to say? No, it's just it, like seeing actually being able to see why he does. Like he's got this like arrogance that I always kind of like in bad guys. You know, like, I gotta love the like the the sort of like wry smile and do something arrogant and you know the this that evil. Hans Gruber you're nothing but a thief no I am an exceptional thief it's like you know? <laughs> yeah yeah yes yes a thousand percent exactly yeah, and, and that's and that's Manfred like he he actually like getting that sense of him reading through again we're like and now I know who he is the Jack Sparrow like you said like you know you are by far the worst vampire I've ever heard of but you have heard heard of me me. (laughs) exactly (laughs) and that's exactly what he is and that's what's so wonderful and I think the thing I think the reasons because I did the same thing I would poo poo him all the time because when you would read the stories especially like the black library fiction Manfred has these grand ambitions and he all he never quite succeeds Right. Uh, and of course he can't. He's the bad guy. He can't completely succeed. But you just watch him doing all these things and then failing, and you're like, "You loser! You putt!" Like you know, yeah. it's like everybody talking about um, Abaddon before the actual thirteenth Black Crusade, and you realize that uh, you know, you know, he did all these. Cru- you fail every time you come. You fail. You're just such a jerk. But it's like no, and then you know, and Manfred especially, you'll see him run from battles. It was like, oh look, he ran away. Of course, he ran away. He's not going to die on the field for this. Like he's going to fight another day. He is. He's. He's one of the most vicious and clever players on the field. And the thing is, he does win a lot of battles. The giant crucial ones where the big stories come, where the good guys have to, or, or order, let's call it, or not the good guys, order right. has to win, or else everything's destroyed. Yes, of course, order wins. But all those other things along the way, I mean, it, it's it's Manfred has brought his his legions to bear so many times in so many places, and and won himself, uh, 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 you know, this idea of how terrifying he is through a lot of victories, um, and he's and he's and he's made it where we have to stop, you know, that we have to stop him, you know, his his little, you know, or the doomsday will be upon us. He's been at the forefront of that so many times over the millennia. It's he doesn't get enough credit. Yeah, still, Archeon got way more credit for ending the world that was than than Manfred. And it's it's directly Manfred, right? Like did that. I, it, it, this and that's the greatest part about it. He's so petty. He is just as petty as Nagash. Wait a minute. <laughs> You're gonna give me the, oh, come on, Manfred. If you do this, w- work with us all together. We can stop this with you. Well, you mean I got to be on equal footing? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm better than the rest. Of you. No, but we got. No, oh, well, you know what? Here, I'm just going to stab you all. Literally, stab you in the back, and wreck this all. And we're all going to die now. But that, you know what? I well, died you before. Have, you shouldn't have impugned. You shouldn't have impugned me. This exactly. is your fault. This isn't my fault. This is no. your fault. <laughs> you, you should have put me in charge and told. You know, you should have flattered me a little more. You weren't. Yeah. You didn't. You didn't show the respect. You and didn't the, kiss the ring. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and then he. It's like you. What? But he would. He is much rather. I would rather rule in hell than serve in heaven. That's exactly who this guy is. Yeah, and no, it's, it's crazy. Well, and just one, one, one sort of final point. Just piggybacking off of what you said about how, like, yeah, order's always going to win the big stuff because otherwise our game ends again, right? Like, obviously. But 
Manfred actually kind of is like Death's uh, Bellacor. Bellacor is like the the like when the when they need to like up the stakes of the story, they bring in Bellacor as like the big demon that's really scary for the sto- for narrative purposes. Right. Are like we actually kind of have like the the antithesis of that in Manfred being a little bit of our like our Deus Ex Machina for death. We're like, oh, the bad thing needs to happen, or like. Uh, you like oh yeah, it was Manfred. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, um, that's, there's there's a there's an appeal, there's a power, narratively speaking, to having a character like that. Um, whereas a little bit of Bellacor shows up to kind of fail. Manfred is just like a, you throw in a line in there that Manfred ruined it. <laughs> you know, it's like so. And it's yeah. become a thing now. Literally, almost everyone else in this book. If Nagash comes up to you and is mad at you, and you know what? All you could be like, dude, Manfred screwed this up. Manfred could be in a different realm. And you know what? Nagash should buy it. <laughs> Manfred screwed it up again, huh? Oh, that Manfred. Because everybody, because he's done so much nonsense and had his fingers in so many pies so many times that he totally makes a mess of these things. Now, let's jump quick to the Legion of Blood. Uh, Legion of Blood is the splendor of the midnight aristocracy unleashed. It is the duty of Neferata and her most trusted courtiers to serve as Nagash's spy masters and agents of anarchy. Um, while Manfred and his brood may be renowned for their ability to find opportunity amidst ad- adversity, the Mortark of Blood maintains that only by turning a foe's misfortune into a weapon can tr- victory truly be achieved. There's a little bit here she talks about... Um, the Clear Blood Fellowship. Have you have you heard about these guys before? Did I miss this in a story? I I hadn't heard of heard of them before. But this I, is another I don't read like a ton of black black library fiction or anything like that. So but, so here's another one of those drops where you're like you can get a whole spinoff story group. Like hey, if you're building if you're building uh human another a, a, a book for humans another cities of Sigmar, where are these guys? The Clear Blood Fellowship, a sub-branch of the Order of Azir dedicated to unraveling Neferata's network of watchers and agents, even harbors quiet concerns she successfully planted her most skilled intelligencers into Azerheim itself. Though how such a masterstroke may have been achieved remains a subject of intense speculation. Like, they're so worried that she's gotten everywhere that they're worried she might be inside Azerheim. She might have spies in there. That's bananas. Like he's yeah. managed to lock everything out, but except no, she gets her spies in there anyway. Um, she's a she's a cool legion. Like I said, I am more of a Manfred fan. He's more of my play style. But um, Neferata definitely has a, has a use and a purpose in this um, in this in this uh, whole hierarchy here. Neferata is one of the cooler characters I think Games Workshop has invented yes as far as like characters go i mean she's she she's another character of like unique ambition she's got a lot of will and agency you know like there's you know the the story as it kind of goes is like she essentially cursed herself rather than having the curse placed on her you know like she has she a was lot the of, first vampire yeah yeah and I, I think that that's really really cool like there's a little bit of a lilith vibe in there right from uh-huh. from your you've, and you've got nagash who for, i forget how she got his books i don't know if he was dead at the time or if he was in prison or what was happening probably he's he's on vacation he was on vacation <laughs> she had his books and she figures out she's trying to figure out how to become immortal and she does it except it turns her into a vampire and she is the first vampire in fact 
she she will maintain being the first vampire ever that all vampires therefore are her progeny right uh which manfred really gets upset by which i think is fantastic how she could needle him you know i was the first i don't know right. about your brothers and i don't know about any of that i just i was the first which means i was the only one somewhere along the line you must have come from from me drives him insane um, I also like, she brings some of the, and I hate to mention them because every time you mention them, it, it just drags so many things out of the closet, but, um, she has that Tomb Kings aesthetic that she brings to the table right? because that's where she grew up. Right. And I mean, like I said, it says in this, she remembers Nagash when he was a human, uh, priest. Like that's, she's as old as he is. In fact, I think she was older than him. Well, Nagash himself barely remembers the world that was as the story goes like he he from his from you know our propaganda standpoint uh-huh. like the books we read like he barely remembers the world that was like he and and she does which i think is a it speaks to her her cunning and her her just like uh, just ability to use information as a weapon you know i don't know that i buy that he doesn't remember it i think i, I think this is another instance of once again, that's an embarrassing time. That's a time when he was still he wasn't he wasn't even immortal yet, much less a god. Right. You know, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that. You know, well, he, he had, well, I mean, the the slight against Nagash has always been fate, right? He wanted to be a ruler, but he was born in the wrong like order, right? To, you know, so he had to not be his a fault. Free. Yep, like just fate occurred. And he's spent his entire existence and uh, and and unlife and immortality, uh, shaking his fist at fate and seeking to control it. Exactly. Right? Uh, last bit about Neferata that I like is her legions. She doesn't like zombies because they're ugly. <laughs> they're gross and slimy. All of her skeletons are picked perfectly clean. They've been oiled and scented. They've had, uh, they've had, some of them have, what is it here? They are resplendent. Their bones are cleansed with scented oils or painted with fine inks. There exists an underclass of mortal slaves charged with ensuring the Legion's cohorts remain immaculate on pain of becoming a meal for the vampires. So when she sends her skeletons, if, here, if, if, you, if you're one of those people who likes to paint stuff up all, you know, sort of dirtied and battle-worn, don't paint up a Legion of Blood Army. If you like to paint it where they look, they just came off the assembly line. This is the army for you. I mean, that's the the hobby opportunity here, right? One of the first things one of my friends said when he picked up the book, he's like, "I'm doing like these clean bone legions of blood," and that's another one of those avenues to sort of put your personality on the table. Is like you read Legion of Blood, and you're like, "Oh man, that's so cool!" And now you have like an excuse to like do some freehand. Like, imagine now doing almost like a Dia de Muerto deal on Dia, all Dia those skeletons. Like, yeah. I mean, if right? you wanted, like, I thought about the same thing. I'm like, she, if I was doing a Legion of Blood, I would sit there and I would do little swirlies and dots on every bit of those Bone. skeleton yeah, bones, bones. Um, which is why I'll never do it because that's that's work. Work I don't have the time or the desire to put into it. But if somebody did it, I would be, I would love to see it. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah it's, it's, this is those little bits of information that make it so great. Now, yeah. um, before we take another quick break, um, Let's, because the Virkos dynasty, um, oh, that, that gets into Cursed City. That actually does, yeah, that uh, goes into Cursed City. Um, let's cover them real quick, and then we will take that break, because we've been going for a good half hour here. So, 
Um, they are the blood of the wolf. There were the uh, many dynasties. They possess their own unique strain of the soul bite curse, but theirs is a near uniquely bestial manifestation. Um, now, here's where we get to that, that bit of story you were talking about. And I actually have this. I, I, I have here. You can see it in my book. I just have it like marked, it. and it just says, what? With giant exclamation points <laughs> next to it. That's fantastic. Because I was just like, what? So scraps of ancient Shiashian legend tell that the, the first of the Virkos, Belladama Volga, was not sired by any vampire, but instead created upon bargaining with the undead god beast, Hrnspul, the Hound of the Cairns. Now, 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 now. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got an undead god beast. Uh, I didn't know there were undead god beasts, but well, apparently there, there is. Would be, because the, the god beasts are reflections of the realms they inhabit. So, sure. So a god beast of Shayish would probably be some sort of death incarnate beast, right? Like. So in return for his gifts... He cursed all of her line to reflect the qualities of one of the many totemic animal spirits venerated in their strange tribal culture, of which the wolf was most sacred. Some scholars of matters vampiric believe the shape-changing abilities commonly attributed to all soul-blight creatures throughout the realms derived from witnessing Virko's vampires on the prowl. So this is, I mean, I'm like, whoa, okay. Uh, the rarely seen elders are said to be as much wolf as they are prince. Those who restrain their bestial selves behind a courtly facade inevitably become all the more monstrous when their true nature is unleashed. This is a really cool bit of lore here. Yes. Because if they weren't really... I mean, they're vampires. It says they're vampires. But they were cursed with this undeath. So, like, how did he make them vampires? I mean, being undead and vampires there is a little different. Um, it's just a really cool well, twist in to the original... to these, uh, these other stories we get. Well, in terms of folklore, like there's there's uh, even within like lycanthropy and vamp vampire folklore, there's there's blended there's blended myths on a lot of that stuff, like in, uh -huh. in our reality. Um, and so, you brought up like vampire the masquerade, so I'll, I'll, I'll mention it again here. Like these are like the Gangrel, right? Like they're oh yeah, like so that you you have this like the the more bestial, uh, like sort of canine lupine. When I I had when. When we saw the potato cam pick, I started doing with my own podcast. I started doing a bunch of shows, like speculating on what I wanted to see, and I made a, like a little bit of a checklist of things I wanted to see. And I wanted to see the shape shifting aspects of vampires played up a little bit more. Like I really, you it was got it. Yeah, I did. Uh, like I like because it's it's one of the most like one of the core things that that sort of gets you know in the pretty vampire era that happened in the like the nineties and the and the early early two thousands. They kind of scrubbed away some of the bestial aspects of like our our meta knowledge of vampires uh -huh. and I'm like bring that back remember yeah. vampires like could in in some older myths vampires could summon plagues of of like vermin and stuff too oh yeah i'm like where is all of that and oh it's in the Virkos dynasty yeah. yes yeah like, it's I, I very cool and, stuff and they did it in a way that makes it very uniquely m mortal realms like you you read you know we did the uh, Legion of Night, Legion of Blood. That stuff's very steeped in traditional Warhammer, uh, the world that was. And nothing wrong with that. You you know, it takes all kinds, and you should represent all, like, give us, give me sure. avenues, right? Sure. But we get the Virko's dynasty now, and now I'm seeing something that's, like, uniquely Mortal Realms. Like, it, it, it deals with a core sort of origin story of the Mortal Realms with the god beasts. Uh -huh. it, it's, when I, 
you know, these new orcs that you asked me, I think before the show went live, you asked me what I thought about the new orcs. I think like the new orcs are awesome because they live in these mortal realms. They're, they're a product of this setting. They they live in the swamps. They've got a different, it, the, 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 the nature of where they live is affecting how they look and how they grow and stuff. I really like them. I'm, I'm super excited for this new box. I don't play orcs, although I keep getting like, I keep being drawn to orcs. Yeah, it's probably because I got about thirty or forty of the metal uh, black orcs. So I've yeah. already got I've I've got the the like the, the core of an army. I just yeah. need a couple of big boys, and I'd have one. And it's like uh, this is tempting. Yeah, because um, that new box set is gorgeous. It almost makes you want to play uh, Stormcast again. <laughs> No, stay, stay down. No, I no, I gotta no, stick. No, I, don't, don't betray I, us. No, I can't. No, I can't be fluttering all over. I don't have the time or the money to do that. But gosh, it's tempting when you see all that cool stuff. But yeah, the Virko's dynasty is that right? Like they live in the mortal realms. Their lore is mortal realms. That you got this this box for the cursed city that tells this this story of a city in the mortal realms. That's very vampiric. Very much you get the 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 Warhammer sort of like cheekiness with. What is the the sort of mortal realms mythology? Olfenkarn is awesome, and whether or not you're a fan of the Cursed City game, which for me it's 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 good, but it still didn't hit that itch that I needed to hit. Mm. But I, I like it. Don't get me wrong. Um, I like that the bit here filled out how how um, what's his name? Uh, Redicar. Redicar, he he has this prophecy that this city is going to be an important thing during the, you know like before before he knew what the necroquake was, he got this city right up to the edge like and he went in there he knew what he he got it you know all this stuff happening he gets this city poised to be you know going over the edge into this into oblivion, and then the necroquake happens and all that power that shoots through just. He's there. Like, he knew that something was going to happen, and he needed to be here at this point in this time. And the the necromantic energy that happens from the necroquake just makes him so much more powerful. Mm-hmm. And then he's able to make a deal with the people who run the town to save it. And basically, they knew they were making a deal that was bad, but they had l- literally no other choice so they made the terrible deal, and now he runs the place with a kind of an iron fist. But this is such a great bit of story. If you want to go into the, you know, the, this whole thing with with uh, the cursed city, uh, and and they even dropped those. You know, there are people in there who are now trying to take it back. Oh, really? Because yeah, I played that game last week. <laughs> right. So I like that the, the, every this this whole two pages of the, the cursed city is basically an ad for the other game. Well, but it's giving I, you that bit of background. A tie-in, yeah. Yeah, but it's still, but it's yeah, it's a tie-in is a better way to put it. Um, but it did give me more background than I got from actually reading the stuff for Cursed City, so I don't mind it one bit. So, uh, okay. The, the, just the one one final point about the Cursed City is one of the things I've always wanted in Age of Sigmar, and this kind of started when Cities of Sigmar came out. We kept seeing, like, you know, this is a city in this mortal realm, this is a city in this mortal realm. I've always there's this blurb in Legions of Nagash where it talks about, like, in Shayish, there are settlements, right? Like, it's an afterlife, but there's also, like, cities. Right. So you'll have these cities where people live there with their undead ancestors. And, like, it's one of those throwaway lines in a book. I think it's just, like, one line. 
where they talk about like you live with your ancestors. So you're like your great great grandma's ghost and your great great grandpa's like, you know, corpsified zombie afterlife body dude might be there and you're you're in the city. And then like we finally got to see what something like that might look like where like the living and the dead are living together and with the cursed city. And so mm-hmm. that's what I really like about it personally. No, and, and to have this blurb here in this book to kind of remind me of it, I, I really enjoy that. And it, and it is cool because you keep hearing about how a lot of these guys live in peace with the spirits of their ancestors in this. Yes. It's like that's so weird and so fascinating. It's such an interesting thing. Like, you right, know, canon for days about stuff like that Like, because it's just such an interesting thought. Yeah, it's like that kid from The Sixth Sense if everybody could see dead people. Like it's just they all sort of live in this place with them and they're learning to live with them. It's a fascinating little yeah. little just drop away bit of lore there that that is just it, it's hard to picture and it's hard to really sort of get that essence for it but just the fact that it's happening there is so open to so many cool things um let's take a break and we're going to come back and we'll talk about the castelli dynasty and the avangori dynasty uh and then we'll get into some of these cool characters we'll be right back Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paints? Six Squared Studios. Well then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. Hello again, hello again, and we are back with two more of the newest and uh, very interesting uh, dynasties in uh, in this book. Let's start with the Castelli, which uh, we would kind of think of them as what they used to call them, the Blood Dragons. Yeah, the Blood, blood Dragons was the, the bloodline, and then they became Blood Knights, right, mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later down. And so this is this is the evolution of that, I suppose you could say, right? Yes. Like, what, what does this seem like in the mortal realms? And they're also kind of the Castlevania ones. Yes, right? they like, are. Which is super awesome because they have this like teleporting crimson keep, like like the the dread Castlevania, right? Like, exactly. So, uh, but I'll let you. Yeah, it, it make it makes for a really interesting, fun bit of story. They are the most mar- uh, martial minded. Um, this and they love it. it. This is you know they act like they're all sort of these high-minded, high, you know, uh, you know, fancy, you know, um, 
you know, military guys, but they're like that nobil that noble. Well, they've got guys. the delusions of like honor and grandeur, mm-hmm. right? Like more so than others. But this is just basically they they love to fight so much because that's their excuse to be the most disgusting and vile and bloodthirsty they can be. Um, the crimson keep that just keeps disappearing every morning and then popping up somewhere else the next day. What what? I don't even understand what is exactly happening there, but I'm want to work it. this into a. If I'm going to play, I we used to play. Um, oh, what was it called? Um, when you had the little map and you could play, uh, and we would play like not tournaments, but we would play um, these big games where we would have five or six or seven Warhammer players, the people challenging each other, and you take spots on the board. And I forget what it was called now. I can't think of it now. Um, God, why am I blanking? But I'm getting old. That's what it is. Pushing fifty here. Um, but if I was to do another sort of campaign game like that, I would want to put this thing in there as one of the things that pops around, because it does. It just disappears at day, and if you're not in there by the morning when it disappears, you're screwed. Well, yeah, yeah. Um. But it does. It just pops up at night, and then they run out and they kill stuff, and then they got to be back in by morning. Mm-hmm. Well, it always like shows up around like old castle ruins or something like that. So suddenly they'll just be. I mean, that's another one of those like cool little folklore things. Is like, like you know, like you can imagine, you know, living someplace and there, there's like that old beaten down house, and then suddenly there's like someone living there, and you're like, they might be a vampire, they might be a goat, you right. know, like everybody stays so- away from the old rundown place because you never know. One night something might just come riding out of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's so cool. Like, and and Prince Vor Dry. Okay, I'm a little bit of a, a board dry stan. Uh, I, I he's one of the models that I was using when I first started playing like Legions of N- N- Nagash. Well, it started with mm-hmm. Grand Grand Alliance D- Death, but um, like playing board dry, I always found him like super cool because he's another one of those characters that was tortured by Nagash, and you know his punishment was to be chained to this castle, right? And yes. uh, you know, in in here, the, there's this blurb. It says, "At the head of the castle, rides Prince for Dry, the Saint of Slaughter and Fist of Nagash." The Saint of Slaughter, like this is like, this, this is such is, a great description. He's so heavy metal, like he just the monikers are fantastic. Yeah, so. it, yeah, he's he's a cool model. He's a cool uh, character, and he's just brutal. And I love how that they there are uh, cults inside the keep. That worship other other um, other gods of uh, death from other realms and stuff like that. And he he doesn't stop it, but he's also like, you best keep this quiet. Like I've already been in trouble with Nagash once. I'm not getting in trouble with him again because you're too stupid to keep quiet that you're worshiping anything other than him. But I right. let him. Be, hey, whatever whatever makes you a better fighter, whatever makes you a better warrior, he's right. fine with it. Um, this is I I do like their story. Um, it's 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 the one that's um, it's got a, a a bit of a mortal realm spin on one of the older older and and more beloved bloodlines from the old game. Right, right. I mean, if if not Aberash, I'm happy with Prince for for Dry. There like you go. His, his lore and stuff like that. And so I, I really like. I wish he'd gotten his own unique sculpt for this release, but I can dream. Uh, one day, and in the meantime, I just you know I've got my conversion that I've made that looks pretty sweet already. There so you I'm go. like you said, I'm already ready to play a lot of this. But man, that Virko stuff. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, the Avangori 
dynasty. These are the ones with the new models that you either love or you're really oh, angry I about. I, I know that that you're either correct or incorrect about. If you love them, <laughs> you're correct, and if you, if you don't, you're incorrect. Uh, <laughs> so let's talk about these guys real quick, and then we will talk about their models a little bit. Uh, just to look at these guys might drive you crazy. Um, unlike the Virkos, the Evangori make no effort to restrain their monstrous actions. So the Virkos, they try to, you know, they're not always wolves. The Evangori are always monsters. The majority are not generals, knights, or connoisseurs, but ravening abominations who believe the beast within ought to be embraced. There's an undeniable comparison to be drawn. The Avangori are a breed apart from the aberrants of Oshorin. Um, their forces are little more than packs of bloated vampiric predators accompanied by towering beasts of the grave. Like, this is this is just such a crazy uh, um, just a group here. Once a vampiric knight possessing a firm coat of honor, Vi has retained a sense of nobility despite her transformation to a hideous Vangorian. Um, she, she's got, she's changed them from just crazy ravening monsters to something a little better. And I, I love her. I love her story. Um, she's just a really cool character who comes out when they're all monstrous and she becomes one of them, except she manages to hold on to something that allows her to, just be a cut above and lead them into being something more than they were. And I love that. Well, this there, this is another one of those examples of the mortal realms shaping like the, the bloodlines and stuff. Cause mm-hmm. the, the Evangori are, are from uh Gur, right? And right. so that so whole bestial energies of Gur have sort of shaped the, the soul like curse to make these, these bestial, um, you know, uh, creatures. I mean, to use the Vampire of the Masquerade reference again, it's like um, if the beast actually was allowed to just manifest, which is this concept of like what makes a vampire evil, right? Or imp- or primal. Right. Like they embrace their beast and it transforms and twists their body like in into these like nightmarish creatures. I love the model in particular, uh, Lauka Vise, because mm-hmm. it's like it looks like this this clutching clawed hand when you see its silhouette like it's gonna it's gripping you in fear and in the throes of death like it has this very the silhouette it cuts is is stellar yes but then you look at the torso like it's very detail heavy on the top of the model so you're almost immediately drawn to the torso and i can imagine being like a, a, a like a you know some poor cities of sigmar slob you know uh given a great sword and a and a, and a feather in my cap to go protect a wall and looking out there and, and thinking i see somebody maybe mounted on a horse you know right like riding up and like it's dark out and like and from afar like you see this this armored individual you're like okay what's that and then as it gets a little bit closer, you notice that it's not moving in a natural way. This isn't lightly bobbing the way a rider on a horse would. Mm -hmm. It's almost like undulating and writhing toward you. And then you slowly, as it's close enough to take in the like sort of whorish detail, it's too late. You see that this is unnatural. It's like this Cthulian, like brain warping terror beast is in front of you. It's the first time I saw this model, and I think here's what the problem was. The first time I saw this model, you get that it's it's standing up on the stone. It's got the bottom half, which looks like a vargeist of some sort, you know. Right. And you've got two definite, what look like definite back legs. Mm-hmm. 
and the front uh, part, which they look more like arms and hands because they've got the the wings attached to them. So it looked more like arms, like something that could stand on two feet, right? Uh, and then where the neck is, then you've got a whole torso coming out of the neck. And it did. It looks weird. It looked very human centipede-ish. I looked at I'm like, I don't think I like this. I'm like, why is this thing got a whole body and then a, another body coming out of the neck? And then I was looking at it and I said to Rotor, I'm like, I don't know about these. And he's like, oh, I think it's pretty cool. He goes, he goes it's, a, you know, it's a vampire centaur. And as soon as someone said centaur, mm-hmm. like I, for some reason that never – It just clicked. It yeah. did. It just clicked. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That's those front limbs. He can he can sort of fly with them, but even when you look closer at the way it's on that stone, it looks like he kind of crawls around on all fours when he's not using the wings. Yeah, like well, if you've ever seen like a bat, like how they like crawl uh-huh. along with their little like clawed arms and stuff like that. Yeah, and bats are adorable, by the way. So, yes, of course. No, th- I mean this. This is one of those like this is a twos what we call like in design twos and nines, right? You want people to either be twos, hate it, nine. Love it. You don't want people at like five, sixes, and sevens where they're like, eh, they're right. This is one of those models that just you're either a two or a nine. And it it strong emotional response is what you want because it's memorable. Mm-hmm. You know, it it this is one of those things where like the design team was just told like go crazy. And then they did. Right. And and I love it so much. If you if you look at the details even even more now that we've started to see pictures of people putting theirs together, if you look at how the back actually comes together, it's 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 got a little bit of a weird kind of like it's actually got a little bit more of a transition than the armor. The armor's the the part that makes it look like it doesn't have a transition because of course this creature who has a an illusion of some past nobility would put on this ornamental armor and then you realize that it is just a veneer they really are these gruesome right and monsters. that's like i said and I, I remember when i first looked at it i, I and i often it has the you know the mourn fang effect where you first looked at it and went oh that's the dumbest looking model i've ever seen and then you saw in person like oh actually this is pretty cool yeah. And so I, I waited to see. I'm like, is this is this is this an issue with the picture I'm looking at? Or and then I started to see more. Like you said, people started posting the picture. I'm like, oh no, I kind of like this. This is cool. This, if I was going to pick up anything outside of it, like she's the model that I really want. I that like this model is the one I really want to get into build and to see up close. Um, and rules wise, they're the ones that get to play with all the terror guys. So you get to have your like little flying monster trucks. Oh yeah. <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah. Um, all right, so let's jump in real quick. I just want to quick cover the the timeline here, some of the interesting things that stood out. Um, you know, the, the, the history does mention about how uh, after Sigmar goes through and smashes aside entire undead armies in his desire to hunt down the necromancer, several times do they meet, although Nagash escapes each time. At last, Sigmar relents, but only after destroying and sealing away Catacros, his first general in the Midnight Tomb. So he couldn't get to Nagash, but he grabbed Catacros, pounded him into the dirt, and locked him away. Then, okay, if you're going to be this way, I can't get to you, but I'll take your I'll take your number two away. Um, the Battle of Black Skies, I don't care what anybody says. I wish this would be a Black Library book. I would love to read this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 one hundred percent. Just the 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 vampires on steeds fighting against chaos lords all around the fortress. It's just crazy. Well, the Battle of Black Skies, how it's written in in Legions of Nagash, is Nagash like 
finds out that Sigmar has betrayed him, and he's like, well, I don't even want to fight anymore. <laughs> like, it's like, like, yeah. like he, takes, he takes his eye off of Archeon, who's literally on his front doorstep, and he's like, if, he's like, well, if that's how Sigmar's gonna be, then then screw that guy. I'm gonna, like, then I'm gonna ruin his plans by letting Archeon win here. Like, he's yeah, like, I'm gonna let nothing. him win, so that way, like, I've yeah. I've got nothing but time here, and Dad, he's like, Dad, things that die from chaos versus things that die from order versus things that die from death. They're all the same to Nagash. They all serve him in the end. Although now he almost did get completely screwed over because he was, or, or his last move before taking that vacation was to force his Mortarks to work together by acting like he was almost destroyed. And Ar- and Archon and Manfred and Nefrata all had to band together to get him out of there. Yeah, like they grabbed like his pieces, like pieces of his armor, and like they mm-hmm. sort of like, uh, yeah, so classic got... Dracula trope, right? Where or almost like an evil Osiris, where it's all the little pieces of of Nagash, the eyeball here, a piece of armor there, a hand there. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's see. That's, that's a nice. That's a nice peasant version of the book you have there. Oh yeah, I see. <laughs> you got the fancy pants version. No, I just got the regular. Ver- well, see, I didn't get. Okay, full disclosure. And I didn't say this in the beginning of the episode. Um, I got the regular version um, when Games Workshop sent it to me to review. Oh, so there you go. yeah, I was. They were kind enough to send me a copy of this book to review, along with a box of Blood Knights, which, as I said in the last episode, which you probably haven't heard yet because it only released it like two days ago. But I'm certain they sent me this just because. I mean, they send it to people like Tyler Mangle. You know, like, oh, look, he paints it all up and it's so beautiful. And then they send it to people, you know, people who give, like, you know, you send it to Vince and Vince is going to turn it into some piece of art. And then they send a copy to me and they're like, look, if Whitech can paint it and make it look decent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can do it, too. (laughs) Exactly. I'm that's the only thing I can figure. And I'm grateful because I love the Blood Knights and I'm building them and I am definitely going to paint them up and show them to people. But. This is the, look, even a guy who just likes to read books and doesn't know how to play the game well and is not very good at painting, even he could make these look good. That's, I'm thinking that's why I'm getting the, the box of models. And I am, I am grateful for them, and I am going to paint them up because, dude, I like the Black Knights, I, I, the Blood Knights. I think they're great. Um, I, I had five of the old ones. Yeah. For my army. I think I've I think I've recorded five podcasts on just how much I like the new Blood Knight sculpts alone. <laughs> like, it's so good. I'm I'm such a shameless death homer. It's not even like like uh this is since I didn't address it at the beginning of the show. Uh, uh, I need to mention uh you're getting the most biased take on how much a guy loves death from me. <laughs> like I'm sorry, audience. Yeah. No, that's okay. Uh, it's one of the reasons I asked if you wanted to help with this. It's like, I know if someone's going to have as much enthusiasm as I am about this, it's going to be you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the timeline's cool here. Um, I got my you know six twenty eight out of seven hundred. I like I love this book. You know, it's it's my first limited edition Battle Tom I've actually ordered from Games Workshop. So I think that speaks volumes to how enthusiastic I was about the army to begin nice. with. Nice. So um, the one. The one other thing I want to talk about in the, in this in the little timeline part here is the um, is the undead ogres. Yes, now, I don't know if does he make them vampires or are they just undead ogres? I think, but it's basically the Crimson Keep manifests near these ogres, and Prince Vordry comes out. They travel all trample the Noblars. <laughs> <laughs> like don't even look at without them. slowing, uh, and then. 
they slay the over-tyrant Marg, spitting him on his bloodlands before drowning him in the largest of the maw pots. As the sun rises, the Castelli retreat as swiftly as they came, though not before raising up a host of half-eaten zombies to drag as many maw pots as possible into the Crimson Keep, their intent unknown as the fortress eerily disappears. And he's got now undead ogres with him. And they talked about that in another part, and I'm just like, oh, come on. That's, oh, yes. That's yeah. fantastic. Well, I love the I love the maw pot nod here. That like they have no idea what they're about to do with these sort of like enchanted meal cauldrons, right? Um, that, I mean, that's. It, it, but there's cool. something magical about them, and they can tell, so they're taking them with. And if you've got these undead ogres, let's take some of these maw pots and see what we can figure out with them. That's all. Oh, this. That's another little drop. Ping. There's a story there that I'm waiting to hear now. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they they love to throw these. They, they like layer these little nods they gave you know the legion of blood like a villain right they gave nagash uh some other death deity to possibly be against him like they're they're just you know in stories sometimes the the thing that makes good stories great stories is having a good villain and even right. when you're in the perspective of like the bad guys you know you're the you're the protagonist in your own battle tone right uh-huh. you're the one driving the plot so you need a just these good antagonists and they're, they're littering these little morsels of antagonism and, and sort of MacGuffins and just, they're really just hamming it up. They're giving me stuff to be excited for. They're, 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 they're planting seeds and sowing exactly a a lot of narrative. Yeah. Um, I do like in this last part where they talk about um, Luke of I is really annoyed with the bone reapers because they don't pick worthy targets. She, because she's all into that, and she's like, "You're just going after peasants and stuff." Like they're like, "We just need bones," and she's like, "No, no, 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 no. That's that's not cool." I of all the things to not be cool about, the well, mother of monsters is like, "You need to attack worthy opponents," and they're like, "No, no, we just need bones," and she's like, "No, no, that is beneath you." <laughs> it's so funny that this is what gets her upset. Like this, it's these little things that add to their characters. Well, me thinks she doth protest too much, right? Like she's she's um she's hanging on, clinging to this this notion that she's still of like noble propriety and stuff like that, oh, and yeah. not just a total monster. And so she's like overcompensating uh, in in these ways. I, the infighting stuff is what I know a lot of fans wanted to see in the Death Grand Alliance from a narrative perspective. And right. now you're congratulations, everyone! You got what you wanted, right? Like we get these little petty. <laughs> and we all know that if she was hungry enough, she would have eaten that whole damn town. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, don't tell me that you would never have gone there. But come on now. Um, yeah. And then the very last, the War of the Mortarks, um, thwarted by the forces of both Nurgle and Alariel upon retreating, Manfred leads his armies not back to Carstinia, but to Neferatia, annexing those regions left unprotected by the Mortark of blood. Um, Neferata calls upon her sycophants and bonded thralls to join her hosts. Even as the realms shake and fracture under a new age of war, open conflict between the two Mortarks at last seems inevitable. Oh, yeah. Cliffhanger. And that's where we're kind of like left off in the current plot right line, right? Yep. yep. That's, the pl- that's the timeline where we're at now. Um, let's hit some of these characters and let's get through some of these cool... I mean, we don't have to cover like every last little unit, but some of these guys have some good entries and there are some new entries that we definitely want to 
want to establish. Um, first and foremost, of course, Nagash, Supreme Lord of the Undead. No being in all the realms can rival his command of necromancy. And I think that's a true statement. Mm-hmm. There are other um, sorcerers, wizards who who might have his, be as powerful magically. But as far as necromancy goes, nobody nobody can uh, can do anything. Uh, he is bonded with the energies of Shyish, and now his powers are seemingly limitless in scope. That was that whole thing with the neck, even with the forming the neck. The whole point was to just get all of that together and put all of that power into him. Well, and importantly, like the Necroquake has, as of now, the Soul Wars are over. Right, mm-hmm. we're all in the in the living through now. We're we're about to see whatever the Broken Realms like the culminating event is for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Like Nagash, so that the Necroquake is over, but Phase One of his plan effectively worked. Like he got what he wanted. He's the unquestionable sort of like death god. Like he is the penultimate death god now. He, he's not just a death god or right. the de- god of undeath per se even anymore. He's ascended to being the god of death. Yep. You know, sh- and and it was the Necroquake was like going out into the other ro- realms and siphoning off and making them deathly and stuff. That's the part that stopped. I, I think when we catch up with the plot, it's important to note, like, he's on his vacation, but he kind of succeeded, too. Yes, he got, I mean, and this this is what I thought he was doing in the beginning, and when because even when they talked about the upside down, the Black Pyramid and all that stuff, I, I, it reminded me of what happened at the end, at, during the end times, just taking and putting that wind of magic directly into that, you know, basically creating the avatars of that we see now. Creating Sigmar as 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 a legit as a god, uh, Teclas and Tyrion becoming gods. Um, right. This wind of magic being part of their essence and being a part of them now. Um, and I thought that's what he was trying to do. Just basically make all the death magic <laughs> have to have to run through him. Right. And and right. he did that, and it worked. And he is crazy powerful. Um. You can read through this if you want to hear about his weapons and his armor and all the things that make him nigh unkillable. But basically, just un- the the most important thing is that um, he he does control death. Basically, death magic, the realm of death. He is the god of death, like you said. Um, and even though uh, whether or not you play him and whether or not you're thinking about the story part where he is he is taking his vacation now. Um, he still, I mean, you, you, even if you just focus on all the vampires and never buy or play with Nagash in your army, yeah, um, the, he's he's there though. He still controls them. They 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 hate him as much as they worship him. Yeah, and and it's important to note that Nagash's story is written in in the present tense, by the way, mm-hmm. <laughs> because he's not. He's never going away. He's on vacation. Uh, um, let's see. Uh, we talk about we've talked a bunch about Manfred already. I don't know what else there is to say. One might have expected Nagash to condemn Manfred's soul to an eternity of tormenting purgatory, but the great necromancer's loath to throw away any tool that may prove useful. I mean, he knows that even though Manfred was one of the reasons. Like, I mean, that was the resurrection of Nagash during the end times. Manfred played a big part of that. Um, Nagash also knows that Manfred also pulled his backstabby nonsense at the end and doomed the world to destruction. Um, it's it's ju- it, cra- it cracks me up uh, when you read about this, just how everybody keeps him around. He makes himself indispensable, even when you know he's trying to kill you. Right. 
And right. it literally says that only uh, Vorkmordian and Archon the Black, outside of the gods, only those two probably have uh, exceed his skill at necromancy, and he's constantly working to be better at it because even admitting that someone's better at something than him bothers him. Right. <laughs> Who does that sound like? Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, what the else? Parallels are are, are palpable. Mm-hmm. We've got a little more about Neferata. We already talked about her. She uh, she's this this talks about how she's the first of the vampires. How she loves to point that out to Manfred. Um, she has honed her craft and cunning that all but the most intricate of stratagems are little more than a game to her. Uh, and I love only for the most sensitive of manipulations or to stave off ennui and amuse herself fighting against those rare foes she deems worthy will she quit the luxurious palaces of Nulamia and ride at the head of her legion of blood. Um, and only the most notable of adversaries or the ones who have the most skill does she ex- expend any real effort on. It's funny because we, we know all this stuff about Manfred. You don't hear that much about Neferata, even though she's older and she's probably done more, because so much of it is whisper campaign stuff that it just doesn't make for really fun sh- little blurbs and stories. Right. I mean, that that's sort of like, you know, hearing the like, I, I, it's in fact, if you were to tell how her stuff works, all of her spies and stuff, you would you would almost cheapen it. You you kind of got a hand wave it to be like oh yeah it totally works like because if you unless you are the best writer in the world of writing that sort of political intrigue espionage style stuff you you're gonna make it almost too reductive to be awesome and exactly exactly the, the best spies are the best because you don't hear about them right see and that's exactly it um, it's it's what makes her fun it's just that the, the somewhat lack of that information so. Um, all right, you know what? We're gonna I'm, we're gonna get about to jump into Luke of I. We've got a bunch of stuff there, and we've got some of these other characters. We're gonna we're gonna take another quick break, and when we come back, we're gonna hit through the rest of these units and stuff, um, and get 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 all the rest of the lore pretty much wrapped up uh, as soon as we're done here. We will be right back. Whenever the opportunity presented itself, which was rare indeed, Manfred von Karstein traveled to the Sepulchre Keep deep in the heart of Nagashazar. Down there, at the heart of the Shyish Nadir, even a Mortar could not exist for long. Knowing the great necromancer, he suspected that was the point. But though it was physically unpleasant and served as a reminder of his own dismal Karstinian estates, Manfred forced himself to come. He walked the echoing galleries, watching the luminescent sconces flicker with the light of agonized souls. A theatrical touch, but then, given his long litany of achievements, he could forgive Nagash his occasional melodramas. And it brought Manfred some satisfaction to know that the Lord of the Dead's claims of being beyond all passions and foibles were a manifest lie. Most regularly, the Mortark came to the throne chamber set in one of the sepulchre's twisted minarets. 
He would linger there as long as possible, ignoring the ever-present tug of death magic at his very being as he stared up at the currently vacant throne. The vampire had never dared to ascend the winding staircase, fashioned from the ribs of some petty death avatar, to touch that godly seat. Even with it empty, he wasn't sure he'd survive the experience. Ringing the hall were five shade-glass mirrors, each one framed by an aroboros of bone limbs. Through such means did Nagash's court commune. Manfred's own stood understandably vacant. Three others shared its inactivity. Catacross spoke little at their conclaves, his thoughts consumed by the Eight Points offensive. As Manfred reckoned it, the woefully single-minded Mortarker of the Necropolis could be entrusted to disregard virtually everything beyond that campaign, provided it did not sap his own resources. Olinder, now her next move would be far more interesting. Though she was so often a maudlin weight around the neck, Manfred had caught himself almost pitying that poor wretch Valentian just the once. The vampire suspected the same ambition that had doomed the veiled lady in life had yet to be entirely snuffed out. After all, did Nagash not demand such things from his generals even as he punished them for it? Archon, meanwhile, would not be saying anything for some time, having been hurled from the rim of Hish by the Lumineth. The Lich would return, of course. That was rather the point of him. Still, Manfred would take great pleasure in reminding him of that inglorious episode. The surface of the fifth mirror suddenly began to ripple like a font of liquid gore after a stone had been dropped into it. Scarlet light illuminated one half of Manfred's pale features, warring with the pale green backglow of the chamber. The vampire turned toward the mirror, dispelling the urge to draw Geist for even as he smiled. For a moment, he wondered how she had known he was here before dismissing the notion. Of course she'd known. That was, to continue the prior thought, the point of her. Queen Neferata, Manfred sketched a lazy bow to the face resolving itself in the mirror. Are you cross? I flayed Nereza today. You're cross, Manfred chuckled. He held up his hands in mock apology as the Mortark of blood gave a wintry smile, her wine-red lips creasing in something that wasn't quite amusement. I had high hopes for Nerazar. Then you shouldn't have left him in charge of your flanking forces, Neferata replied, as airily as if they were discussing some emergent new Lamian fashion. Bold of you to quit the field after committing to annexing my lands. You didn't seem to be doing anything with them. Manfred, Manfred, why do we keep having this conversation? Neferata sighed as she shook her head, night black hair spilling across her shoulders. She was still smiling. What do you think Nagash will do when he realizes that you purposefully quit NVIDIA to further your own aims? And he will realize. I know Nagash, said Manfred. I have known him for a long time. Darling, I was flirting with eternal damnation centuries before you were but a mere pang of thirst in your sire's gullet. The Mortark laughed with genuine mirth. Unable to dispute the point, Manfred simply continued. I fought alongside him at Gagohenge. I saw him advance on the walls alone. I saw those walls crumble into sand at his mere presence. I watched him take cannonballs like they were bites of a gnat. 
I saw him raise a graveyard, an entire graveyard with the twitch of a finger. I watched him reduce the Stormling Lord and her heavens drake to dust with a touch. It was that memory that stuck in Manfred's mind. It wasn't just how the warrior in her mount had screamed, it was the sheer dispassion of it. Nagash had not even looked at the champion as he passed sentence. Manfred had once believed that, like himself, Nagash simply disregarded concepts such as nobility and honor. Now he wondered if the great necromancer even understood them at all in anything but the most abstract fashion. I saw all that, and I still committed to my course. So what does that tell you of my resolve? The new Lamian queen was no longer smiling. Neferata's eyes had often been described by her simpering suitors as possessing a hawk-like clarity. Manfred instead thought of it as a vulture's scavenging gaze, though he recognized that this was simple pettiness speaking. Nevertheless, the vampire suppressed a wave of unease as his fellow Mortark gave a humorless chuckle. Take care, Von Karstein. I found Narazar vaguely charming, and you'll see what's left of him soon enough. Imagine what I have planned for you. With that, she was gone, her image dissipating into the slick mirror pool. Even when he was alone again, Manfred's voice did not raise above a whisper. We'll see. And we are back, back from the break, and we're going to talk about Lukavai, the mother of nightmares, or Laukavai, Laukavai. Uh, she is the rarest thing, a vampire with a sliver of conscience. Um, she may be scary looking, but she has got the soul of a warrior queen. She was once one of the finest, store, finest swords of the Askurga Renkai, an order of Gurish vampire knights who refused to prey on those weaker than themselves. They didn't like mortals, but they wanted to fight things worthy of fighting, so they wouldn't just go kill easy to easy prey humans. Um, they were doing a lot of fighting. She got she was fighting against Zinch, got knocked into a tar pit, oozing with primordial Gurish magic, uh, and she emerged a half beast. She turned into a monster. Yeah. Of course it would be Zinch, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, what twisted her into a half-monster, half-vampire thing? Of course, yeah. Yeah. Um, the Necroquake changes her future. The Vangorians who ruled the Avangori dynasty took great pains to seek out the Mother of Nightmares, for they had heard of her exploits and considered her a paragon of their twisted ilk. Um, she didn't like to embrace the monster that she was like they did, um, but she also... this. Is the, <laughs> This is the first time anyone's been nice to her since her transformation that they weren't horrified of her. Mm-hmm. So, like, they were willing to... Like, she didn't really like it. She's like, oh, these guys are so monsters. This is not how I want to be. But they're also the only people who showed her anything close to any any sort of kindness or respect since her transformation. So she went with them, and now she's their ruler. Well, it's, it's interesting because she's almost like a tragic figure. Like, mm-hmm. she has a very tragic story, and I think that's pretty awesome. This This... It, the the sort of dichotomy between 
the sort of the bestial, the the monster, right? The truly monstrous, and and then this this sliver of conscience, uh, recognition of like nobility, and and it's it's a really tragic story and actually really kind of cool. I like the the more I read about Lao Kavai, the more she kind of emerges as a character that I absolutely adore. Like the model is great, right? It's 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 hard. It's it's hard to like unseat our long held biases and our our old loves of stuff, but Catacross and Laukavai and Radiker the Based, uh, like are they're just emerging as like characters that I love as much as I ever did Vlad and, and Nagash, you know? Exactly. Here's a character who said she is the rarest thing among vampires. She was a vampire with a conscience. So I mean. These, you know, we the the and, whole book has said, look, they look beautiful and they act noble, but they're not; they're monsters. Well, she kind of was. Yeah. She was less of a monster than the rest of them, and of course, she gets turned into the most horrifying of monsters the, on the outside. And it's like, and 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 who's she with? She always has denied the beast in herself. Yeah. And now she has to. Now she rules the ones that embrace the beast more than any other, and she's yeah. running that balance. It's a fantastic story. Yeah, yeah, brilliant irony, like brilliant use of dramatic irony, right? Like, 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 absolutely fantastic. Um, no, it's wonderful, and I can't wait to see more about her. Right. I'm hoping I want. I want a I'm story. Like, I want book. a full-on Laukavai story. You know, like, I don't know if we need the extent of a Black Library novel or something, but. But I would love to see. Well, I like, know what that they've been doing. one came out with this, and it was hard to get it sold out in like a minute. I'm still trying to find it anywhere because I'd love to read it and cover it on the show. Since apparently nobody can get a hold of it. Now there um, you go. But uh, it's that's what I liked. You know, that I, I prefer to study the lore parts anyway. But I would love to read more about her. So let's see what else do we got here before we get to the um, before we get to the the wolf pack. Um, it talks a little bit about the different characters. We know most vampire lords. Um, I mean, they uh, the necromantic magic. It, it 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 it. I like that they say that that the magic of the realm. It's just being a vampire itself. Just uh, is a wellspring of of death magic. Like the, the they are unnatural creatures. So that death magic just sort of permeates them and, and co- comes out of them. In fact, uh, the the part that I think that is really interesting is how. Um, when other things are around them, other undead things uh, will get will become faster and more powerful and move. Just being in their presence, mm-hmm. um, and it's well, not something they have to actively like, like work towards with their creatures. It's just they give off this that uh, it, it just enervates the undead around them. Just their being there. Well, the the what's really awesome is they're giving you a narrative. I don't want to say justification because it sounds maybe a little disingenuous, but but it 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 there's a harmony between what they tell you in the stories in this book and what you see in the models, which is not always the case. Like Lauka Vai goes berserk and has a rule for going berserk, where she's very slowly as the game progresses, she's trying to hang on to her sort of her humanity uh-huh. more and more, and getting it's getting more and more difficult for her to do it as the game progresses. It's your your vampire lords bring a lot of buffs to your your shambling dead, your skeletons, mm-hmm. your uh, your 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 dire wolves, your and all that. Like it's 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 really 
this book, this is one of those reasons I really enjoy this book because it like it checks the boxes. I look on one side of them like here's what the lore says, and I look at the War Scrolls and I go, "Hey, the War Scrolls say that too." That I, harmony between the two. I've said this so many times for for years. The the thing that makes Age of Sigmar such a wonderful game is that once they went to the rules being mostly in the War Scrolls and not in a big book where you just have a list of rules. Mm-hmm is that the rules can now play to the lore. Right. You know, Manfred, you know, with his two different weapons, if he kills someone, he gets a boost to his magic. If he gets more magic off, that gets him enervated and it makes him kill better. So it's like, as he's doing things, they work in tandem. Also, he has a cowardly teleport. (laughs) (laughs) That's not cowardly, it's strategic. You mispronounce strategic. strategic Yeah, right. What is it? A strategic uh, retreat? Or? Yes. <laughs> you know, he who fights and strategically retreats lives to fight another day. That's how that works. Right. Yeah. No, it's 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 brilliant, though. It's brilliant to your point. Like this is this book. I mean, who knows where the, the ultimate power and the maths and all the numbers come down. Right. You know, that's that's a whole different topic. That's more on the war side of things. But from a lore perspective, they've checked the box for me. They tell me a story. I'm, I spend you know, days pruning through and reading and reading and reading and going back through this now, catching blurbs I missed the first time, you know, when I was frantically reading through, right? Right. And then I... And by frantically, folks, they're not joking. Like, I asked him a few days ago if he could do this because I had something else. Basically, things got messed up. And I was like, hey, listen, did you read this yet? He's like, I'm starting to... like. And you, and want, any chance you want to record me on Sunday? Well, I'm going to have to plow through this book now, so I know I rushed you through this book. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I was. Do, it's like a steak dinner, you know. When when there are books that I skim, you know, it, you know, I'll I'll skim. Uh, you know, I read my Beast of Chaos tome cover to cover because I love Beast of Chaos. But um, you know, most books like LRL, I skimmed it. You know, I, I skimmed the 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 LRL. Book oh sure. And I, 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 you know, I've skimmed. Hey, unless you're doing something like this where you're going to sit down and report to people what's in the book, you yeah. don't need to read every single book. It's just but, morons like me that do this. But this, it was like, this is the steak dinner. I'm going to oh, take yeah. my time, cut off a morsel, chew it, like really think about it. Like, this is the steak dinner. This isn't This isn't the McDonald's. Like, don't get me wrong, both things are delicious in their own right, but sometimes you just want to digest a proper steak dinner, right? And, oh, yeah. And this is... For me, this was the steak dinner, so I was taking my time. But yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I love and, this book, and, and the more I read, and I must through- have missed this stuff about Prince Vordry. Oh, he's so cool. <laughs> so he tried to back. He tried to stab Nagash in the back. Uh huh. He tried to knock the body through the realm gate so that the dark, so that the the chaos gods could get it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But he totally failed. Um, and then when Nagash got back from vacation, he was in so much trouble. <laughs> that's why he's chained to Castlevania. Like they made it like they made it sound like in one of the stories that he was l- literally chained inside of it just going crazy and, like crazier and crazier with his bloodlust. So he tries to get rid of Nagash. Of course Archon is the one who stops him. Cuz mm-hmm. Archon is his is Nagash's most loyal subject. He cares nothing for anything except making Nagash's plan work it seems. And sometimes screwing over the other Mortarks, which we saw in that uh, the the book that came out when second edition came out. Um, but uh, yeah, so he he not only stops uh, Vordry from doing this, but like you said, he locks him in a box. 
Mm-hmm. For however many years it took Nagash to come back, he was locked in a box. Yeah, just go half insane. And then and then <laughs> Nagash comes out. He's like, okay, now now it now I'm going to after after him be, being locked in a box, being driven insane for a thousand years or so was not the punishment. That was the holding cell. Then Nagash shows up and says, okay, now it's time for your punishment. Oh boy. So, yeah. Yeah. This that I love that part, and I love that now that Nagash has been shattered again, he's like, "Oh, maybe, uh, maybe I can do something. Maybe there's something I can figure out here." Yeah, but I, it's got to be a plan that can work over the course of one evening because he can't be outside of the keep. Yeah, that's his curse. Like he's got to like. I mean, it's it's really cool. It's so cool, man. I mean, they they found a very. It's an old trope, right? The 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 vampire's castle, but they found a very Age of Sigmar way. And again, the rules reflect it because mm-hmm. the, the vampires, the, the the Prince Vordry's Castellet dynasty, their rules reflect being able to like the the castle just kind of teleports on outside the battlefield somewhere, and then they all flank on from that side of the table or or whatever. It's it's really cool. Yeah, it's really cool stuff. Mighty Empires. That's the game. That I That's what it like was that forty minutes remember. ago. It yeah. just popped into my head. <laughs> Amazing how that works, isn't it? <laughs> uh, yep. Um, I like that Vargas, you know, are still the the vampires who totally lost control of themselves and became bestial. Mm-hmm. But that if you're being punished and they starve you as punishment, if you get a little too crazy with starvation, you could just at any point run the risk of totally devolving into a Vargeist. Right. If they starve you enough and, and the beast gets a crazy enough, even you, you hundreds of year old vampire who's managed to do it all, can can devolve into one of these things. Um, it talks about coven thrones, palanquins, the fell bats. Okay, did, did you see this thing about the fell bats? How they feed their masters so they don't have to leave the house? Did you read it's this? It's pretty gruesome. It's pretty gruesome. I, I didn't get through this. Section this is here. the weirdest Uber Eats nonsense I've seen in a long time. <laughs> Vampire Uber Eats. Felbats do not hunt through sight or sound. Rather, they can sense those mortals with the most vital blood rushing through their veins. Okay? So, they fly in. The blood they drink is not consumed wholesale, but held as a liquid mass within the felbats' throats. Once full, they will return to their creator's lair in the multitudes to hang upside down in darkened caves and undercrofts. Mass thralls will slowly march between the rows of felbats, carefully opening their throats and draining the blood into bowls to serve their masters. So do the leather-winged beasts allow the vampires to indulge their thirst without quitting their strongholds to ensure that terror of the undead spreads far and wide. So they run out there, they, 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 they drink all this blood, they keep it stuck in their throats, and since they're undead, you could just cut them and they'll reheal. And then the servants go while they're hanging upside down and just keep cutting their throats and pouring all the blood into chalices and bringing them to... So they send the, the bats out to go feed and bring them their dinner. Yeah. Yeah, hey, look, it's it's hard to be a working girl sometimes, like to be a, a vampire on the uh, go and trying to you're trying to bring about the end of all human kind or all mortal kind. Uh, you, you can't always like have a proper meal. OK, I get it. But that's just a weird way to transport it. I mean, I suppose. I mean, what are they going to do? Pull up to the blood station with plastic bags in the back of their van and fill them up in case blood's going to run out? No. But still, it's 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 that's kind of gross and creepy. 
You know, and of course, of all the things they talk about in this book, the the drinking your blood from your bat's throat that was just slit because it came over like a pouch, it's probably the weirdest thing for me to be bothered by. But I just read that I was like, oh god, like I was <laughs> really like I don't know what it was. That was just that there was a last straw somewhere, and that was mine. Oh gosh. Okay, let's talk about these. Uh, let's talk about the wolf pack here, Radicar. One of those rare mortals who actively sought transformation into a vampire. So he wanted to be a vampire. And he I managed mean, to get it. Metal. Yeah, I know. Because <laughs> Redicar is so awesome. Yeah. I, this is the... Uh, I, I, this is... An, uh, I just... I'm glad you can take the... At least I think you can take the beast on its own without having to take the, 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 the wolf pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can't take Radicar the wolf, but you can take Radicar the beast. Yeah, because I, I really like all these things from um, from Cursed City, but I don't want to take them all into one big one big lump. Well, and that's the thing is like so you the, with the Radicar, the wolf, like the sort of like normal version. Um, you you sort of like, I guess if you play Cursed Cities, I can imagine it like a video game. Like you get through and you you kind of beat Radicar, and then you're just like looking at the rest of the party. You're like, why hasn't the boss music stopped yet? And then, like, Radiker the Beast shows up, and you're like, oh, dude. Yeah, I thought Radicar was the end boss. He's the mid boss. Yeah. Uh, That's pretty cool. So, So. uh, let's see. He he was able to control control that rage, though, and keep him together. Um, Since his ousting from the Ebon Citadel and Ulfenkarn, a monstrous transformation has overcome. Now he towers above even his vampiric kin. So, yeah, um, apparently losing Ulfenkarn, apparently for the humans, you know, succeeding in Lost in the Cursed City and uh, and ousting him, he has now become even worse. Right. Um, Then they name a bunch of characters here. There is some interesting stuff here. You've got... Uh, Torgilius, the death mage that uh, he's, you know, he's got his stuff that he's really good at. He, he feels that, and this guy, apparently this death mage has unlocked some of the secrets of the grave sand, which is, that's a, that's a huge deal. Right. Uh, Gorslav, uh, he's the, the, you know, can call all the dead walkers. Radikar has his night guard, which are the revenant ogres. God, the, the ogre. The undead ogres is just so cool. Yeah, and, give me more sculpt, please. Of yes, undead ogres. Yeah, I would. I would love a unit of ogres. I mean, and I know we've got the the Vargeist, and I know we uh, the they had the what are the the other version of the crypt ghouls. Mm-hmm. I don't want giant ghouls. I want undead ogres. Uh, yeah, I mean, I this is a tangent here, but I want. I I think that there's there's so much more. Death has so much more love to give, you know. Like we we have this undead vampires, undead elves. I want to see undead everything. That would be the greatest. If, right. if a, I mean, I mean, and I'm don't get me wrong. The the new twenty box of zombies and skeletons are great. Yeah, but I would have loved to have seen a couple of sculpts of really tiny dwarves. Yeah, but just skeletons. put some. Just put a couple weird. You know, in that box, it's 20 in the box of, of zombies and 20 in the box of skeletons is how many comes. You could There could have been one or two, like on the sprue, like a like a, a dwarf skele- a skeleton or zombie, you know, just for points of visual exactly. interest. Exactly. Just and something I do, like that, yeah, would have been awesome. 
I encourage like personal hobbyists to put some of that stuff in their army now. Like I do, I do think that like you have some agency to sculpt some of that stuff yourself. But uh, it's it's nice when when there are official sculpts because it almost reinforces what you think. You know, right? So. So you've got all of that. He's got his whole. He's got his court. He's got all of these things coming around here. Uh, let's not forget Belladama Volga, the first of the Virkos, who's like a Baba Yaga over here. Um, she rides on the wolf. Um, so, side saddle because uh, proper because she's a lady. <laughs> she rides side saddle, and the rumor is that this was one of her ill-fated suitors who displeased her, and he's been turned into a wolf, and now she just rides him around. As uh, he is, he is now just her, a conveyance mechanism. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. We we don't talk. I don't think the community. We as a community talk nearly enough about how great Bella Dama Volga is. Um, and maybe when you go ahead and do your war section, Bella Dama Volga. My first sort of blush reading of everything was was she's just she is a ten out of ten in terms of like sculpt and rules. Like I think and lore. She is just she just is the grand slam like of, of this stuff. Like Radiker is really cool lore wise and model wise, but he doesn't quite go all the way rules wise. And Belladama checks all three boxes for me. She just, she's just everything she should be as a sculpt in the lore and on the table. She's, she's, she's wonderful. I love her too. Um, I love that they tell the stories of her, you know, because she's not always bad. Like she kind of goes around, um, (laughs) There's a, I love that story of the starving girl child. She's lost in the woods, and Volga gives her a bowl of steaming broth. Because there's Volga who's being nice to her, right? No need to do anything to the child. Twice she asked the vampire to help her hungering family, and twice she was denied. Well, apparently you, 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 you listen to her when you talk to her, because she asked her a third time, and apparently that annoyed her. The third request, she transmuted the girl's kin into slavering wolves, laughing as they feasted upon the rest of their village. So he couldn't. Oh, she just taken the bowl of soup. Yeah, I mean, she asked her. To, she said no. She said, "Please, you got th- three times." It's like, okay, I told you no three times. Now I'm annoyed. Fine, yeah. you want them to eat? They'll eat. Yeah, yeah she, that's uh, it's so good. Such such cruelty. Just the the evil there right like it's so dripping and evil and it's got this weird sense of i mean it's almost like a like a like a, a fairy tale like a grim's brother fairy tale right uh-huh so and then you get lady annika great sculpt too yes like, pulling out the like almost reminds me of like a uh like a mosquito in in this imagery it's so cartoony. She's so ridiculously thin and so stylized. It's fantastic, though. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Like I loved, like uh, her sculpt was one of those ones that really stood out when we got those uh, initial teasers. And again, it's the 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 Vircos are bringing in the other stuff that is in our kind of folklore of vampires that kind of got ignored for a while there with the pretty vampire era. Mm-hmm. Which is the vermin and the you know the the vermin the plagues the insects like all that stuff was part of vampire lore too right and, yeah and but her story it's like okay she's she's super thin she's tiny for a vampire <laughs> um, and and she's part of the whole wolf group but she doesn't really manifest as a wolf um, her curse manifests as the endless thirst of a blood sucking bat 
And she walks around looking like she's, you know, talking about how her dressmakers aren't of quality enough. Like she, she really plays that that rich nobility aspect of it up, you know, sort of the Euro, <laughs> what they call the Euro trashy vampire, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but in reality, her chambers, nobody goes in and there's just bodies everywhere because she can't get, she is so blood hungry, like more than normal to the fact where she's constantly starving for blood. Right. And so she's constantly eating. She, I mean, th- there, there are rumors that she actually eats some of them because she's pulling, she's sucking the blood out of stuff so much. She's like chewing on bits that have blood left in it that she might actually be eating some of the actual parts of the thing while she's drinking. That's how, that's how ravenous she is to get this blood. I think that's just a cool, crazy story. Right. Um, there's just so much, there is so much killing going on from her that others seem to be almost unaware of the, just mm-hmm. the depths of how much she needs to feed which is a cool little story hook there for her character yeah yeah she's she's a cool sounding character and then like, you really get the rat num- prince love kritza <sighs> again that the whole the vampire stories where I, I think didn't gary oldman do that in the in that in that version Tur- of dracula where he just turned into a pile of rats and disappeared yeah that yeah, is the coolest so. thing and that's, you know, um, what does this say? He was a noble. Um, in Olfenkarn. Oh, that's uh, right. His whole thing is he, like, dove on a corpse cart or whatever to hide. And I'll let you go. Oh, yeah. No, no, that's, yeah. But, I mean, he was he was trying to double cross. Like, he, he acted like he was working with Radikar. But he was really trying to get people up to, to stop him, to, get, to give it back to the humans. And they just about killed him. Brought him up to the point of death there, and he thought he got away, but he'd already been gotten. Uh, he didn't realize that he'd gotten the vampiric blood. Yeah, yeah. He had no idea that he had like had the blood kiss, and and this sort of hiding in the corpse cart, uh, like gorged upon the rats. Right, that uh, he emerges with this sort of unique curse. You know, and this goes all the way back to um, Isabella. Because if you did, you ever read in the because they had that that vampire trilogy that they put out, and there was a short story at the end of it. If you bought yeah, the trilogy, yeah. and Vlad had created Isabella, and he was feeding her and doing all this stuff carefully, and she basically heard all this, heard the wolves outside, and ran out and was feeding off the animals before she had fully formed. Right, and it, it that that's like what kind of broke her mind and made her crazy because she was feeding off of animal. Before she had fully, you know, become more vampire, and apparently you have to feed off human blood to get that human sensibility or whatever, and you sort right. of get that bit of this here, where now not only is he bonded to 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 rats because that's what he was feeding off of, but now he's got this affinity with them and he's like a master of them, mm-hmm. and 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 rats are everywhere in 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 the mortal realms, especially around the human civilizations. And if there's rats around and he's around, he hears and sees what they hear and see. And that just makes him so dangerous. He's such a cool character. This is one of those characters like I'd want to almost write fanfic of because (laughs) you can you can imagine him going into like a city in the Age of Sigmar with this sort of vermin tide, these rats about. And this is another one of those. You look at the model or, or I'd imagine placing myself in the mortal realms and like looking you know like you go to like a castle in the night type thing 
and Kritza answers. And he's got this, these overwhelming, like, nauseous amounts of uh, Nulamian perfumes. And you're sort of distracted by, like, how just much of this perfumed odor is coming off this oh, that's person. that's right. As he has all the perfume, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so you have you're like sort of distracted by that as you see him, and there's something not quite right about him, but he dresses regal enough, you know, and uh, you know he's like, oh, you know, the master's this way, and he's kind of leading you through the castle, and every now and then you catch like flecks in the shadows that you pass off as just normal rats, and by the time you realize that he is the master of the castle, by the time you realize that he hasn't been walking, but rather gliding along, sort of carried by this swarm of rats, like oh, so cool. He, you're already murdered, you know, like it's yeah. already too late. <laughs> you just so. don't know it yet. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's, uh, that's, I think that's just about all the new people. Let's hit a few of the important things or the things that really stuck out to me. Um, well, we already talked about the white Kings, mm-hmm. um, whether they were once a cruel, shy, Ishian despot or an enlightened, Hishian uh, all white kings retain a sense of pride and individuality. Um, with the rise of the Bone Reapers and the avaricious eyes, these construct warriors turn upon the Death Rattle Kingdoms. Many white kings have come to a pre- That's the powerful allies there. When you're a white king and all you have is a, a, an army of skeletons, the Bone Reapers may show up and try to take it all away from you. Mm-hmm. So these guys realize that they need vampiric, um, they need vampiric friends. Right. Uh, right. And that's that's a really cool thing. Um, I I just really like, uh, I really like uh, the the that that just just those bits of information that give you sort of the politics behind characters that you don't always think of because they're playing second fiddle to Mortarks and big vampires, right? Um, I mean, you you know, Graveguard, even the undead got to survive. Mm-hmm. You've got your elite grave guard and your black knights. I love how they talk about the skeletons. They're like, the skeletons aren't just the warriors. They're actually the backbone. They're the cool. guys who build everything. <laughs> they, <laughs> see what I did there? I got, yeah, see, I got no, it. Yeah, I got it. No, I... <laughs> um, but they're the laborers. They're the ones who build the castles and fix everything. and puts a, Like, when you need bodies to do work, you send out the skeletons. Well, that's... I mean, that even goes back to, like, the origins of, of the mortal realms, really. Like, the it's like the dwarves, and there was that brief period in time in the Age of Myth, right, when all the when all the gods were actually working together, you know, before the great falling out and, and, all, the, and all chaos and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it talks about how, it, like, you had a bunch of dwarves and skeletons kind of, like, working together to, like, build all the cities of Sigmar and... and and you know, secretly, uh, that that traitor uh, Sigmar <laughs> was building a bunch of storm vaults secretly the whole time. But yeah, like it was like the skeletons and the dwarves were working together. And like yeah, that's, the skeletons are that's exactly what they do. They're the backbone, the the sort of uh, this this labor. Exactly. Force. So, uh, what else we got in here? We'll get this, and then we're gonna. Um... Well, you know, hey, uh, talks about zom- zombies are pretty much. I mean, they're zombies. Yeah, they're zombies. You know, <laughs> it's, it's what we know. Uh, dire wolves, what? necromancers, um, corpse carts, mortis. This is all stuff we know. Terror guys, zombie dragons. The, there's nothing that I that grabbed me as super new here. Um, the mortis engines. Mortis engine was my favorite thing from my old death army. I would play mortis engines all the time. They just don't do what they used to do. 
Um, and I'm not bemoaning the rules. They were really cool. Maybe they don't quite fit with the new rules anymore. But I, I will say I miss, I miss my Mortis engine and the, just the things that it could do. Yeah, I mean, there's there's Mortis Engine's one of those cool sculpts too, and they make it sound really like just heavy metal in the lore here, right? Oh yeah, exactly. Like they 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 like the few necromancers who achieve their aim of becoming true masters of undeath are treated with a uh, you know reverent awe by their fellows, and they like they go on to like build these Mortis engines as as like the the sort of impetus of their of their will and and necromantic mastery and well and it used to have the pulse which was really cool because you could that that pulse which would help bring back your stuff and kill off other things yeah I mean if you can get a mortis engine to last into turn four and five back in eighth edition it did crazy stuff it did work. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it's still written as though it does that. Like it, it murders the stuff, and and uh, enemies collapse around it as they sort of get this chill breeze from the uh-huh. Mortis engine of pure necromantic energies. Um, yeah. I mean, it, Mortis engines are like. I mean, a lot of this stuff is like super deathy. You know, yeah. like this is like the classical death. Uh, the one thing I do want to say about Deadwalkers is, well, like these the new sculpts are are actually pretty awesome. But with Curse Cities, there's this blurb. How the Deadwalker zombies are almost animated by the plant life because the plant life itself is so corrupt with death energy and Cheyenne. Oh, I'm gonna have to read. I'm gonna have to go in and, and go through and dig through and read the read that up then because that's really cool. And I think that that's that's a really cool like mortal realms detail. And so when you see the sculpts, the, the you know the box of twenty like was mentioned already for the Deadwalker zombies, mm-hmm. they they still have some of that tree iconography and plant life iconography. And it's a nod to the like the notion that Shyish itself has like you can be rezzed by necromantic energy and and vampires and stuff, right? But also the realm of death is so just just alive with death energy that it can it can resurrect these zombies to fight you and stuff so i think it's really cool that's exactly really cool. no it is really cool and that's pretty much i think we hit the lore there um you know what? we're gonna take one last break and then we're gonna come back and uh give our final thoughts and wrap up the show we'll All be right. right back Grognards. That's right, friends. Grognard Games in Roselle, Illinois, and at grognardgames.com. They are now open daily from 12 to 7 for your gaming pleasure. Now, if you want, you can go into the store, find what you need. Not comfortable going into the store, even with a mask on? Call them up for curbside pickup. Or order online at grognardgames.com. They've got what you need. They've got Warhammer. They've got Dungeons and Dragons. They've got Marvel Crisis Protocol. They've got Battletech. They've got a huge pre-owned section. And you can find it on grognardgames.com or in the store. Now, you can't play in the store right now. Still got to have social distancing protocols. And if I got to stay more than six feet away from you, probably can't play a game of Magic. Probably going to be pretty difficult to play a game of Warhammer either. But you can still get all your hobby needs met at Grognards. Because as the world starts to reopen and your hobbying starts to take off again, you know you're going to need stuff. And you can find it at Grognards. And why? You know why. Because there's always something happening at Grognards.
and we are back. We're back to wrap it up. So we had first impressions. Now, without getting, like I said, we're not doing the the war episode right now. But any anything you want to touch on before we before we wrap up? Anything you want to hit? Because there was so much cool stuff going on in this book. There's, I mean, the real for me the the real victory, especially talking on the lore side of things. Before you know, war is its own episode. Um, they 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 found a way. One of the great challenges of making an army in Age of Sigmar that has a meta reputation, everyone knows what vampires are, and then has a historic Warhammer take. And now you have to make something new for your for this new setting, you know, the Mortal Realms, this this set in this new world, this mythic, you know, fantastical place. One of the great challenges is balancing all of those, right? Like, how do you... I, and I'm asked this philosophically and openly because I don't have the answer. How do you give a nod to the vampire counts players like me, who I started with Army Book Undead, right? When prior to the vampire counts, but then I had to the, the line in the sand was drawn. Vampire counts are tomb kings, right? Was asked of me at like twelve, you right? know, this young kid, and and I chose my vampire counts. How do you appease the Mephisto who wrote his own? Von Karstein's lore and, you know, played blood, uh, you know, uh, blood dragons and had his, his blood dragon vampire, uh, named Dunkel, uh, you know, right. Like Lord Dunkel, you know, just uh, German for dark. I think it was. And like, how do you, you know, appease that person, but then also make sure that people who play vampire, the masquerade bloodlines and who uh, like obsess over like Castlevania and all those things. How do you appease those people to where like they have a bridge into your game, but then say, "Hey, this is our own." Uh, apparently, and, like this because like this, yes, like crazy. this. Like you go through and it's like two bloodlines of of sort of celebrating the past, like two bloodlines of sort of celebrating like meta, you know, like sort of meta knowledge, and then two bloodlines that anchor it in the mortal realms, and you have interplay between them all where they're all doing a little bit of everything you know it, it, it's almost like you get a vh1 where are they now with neferata and manfred you know like, <laughs> and, and uh you know oh they're about to fight a war like you, you you get a little bit of that you know so like you you do have a nod to the past i think maybe the thing they don't do as much is like just self celebrate the history of their own vampires which honestly is not a bad thing that would feel too like self-celebratory patting themselves on their back about how cool all their stuff used and the to thing be, is right? and they did it they said that nobody's got the history like manfred nobody's got a history like neferata you know all this stuff right influence. and they mention it right in like the first paragraphs of those characters and then they drop it because especially in the undead realms what have you done for me lately right and so right. it's like it's it's not about who they were back then yes they were back there and yes that's a part of their history but right now right now yeah. nagash is on vacation What's going on now? <laughs> right. What are you guys and, doing when the boss is away? And and so I think just from a from a lore perspective that this book is just I for me it it really it really gets it. It's I, I again my death you know my bias for all the death armies is like very very pronounced. But this is this book excites me to read and to read again and to go back through because like even like I said before I'm catching morsels that I missed the fir- like the first the first time I'm like man ah like I got to read this again. And it's it's just it excites me. It makes me happy. 
Um, it, it appeases, for me, this is like a homecoming. They say you can never go home again. For me, this is like reminding me of why I fell in love with Warhammer to begin with, but why I love Age of Sigmar. Yes. No, it's, 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 you know, I I don't care how powerful the book is. I mean, I don't want it to be a book where I, where I lose every game I play. Obviously nobody does, but that's not, that's not where I'm concerned I'm yeah. concerned that it sort of captures the essence of what the army's supposed to be well, through its rules and its lore, and I feel like this book totally does that. I I, I love this book. You, I really you, it's do. A, it's about identity for me. It's it's mm-hmm. about having that that Miyazaki sort of paraphrase from from before in the show. Having an identity gives people stuff to be passionate about. Where Legions of Nagash, we had to kind of read in a lot of our own personality into it which is a, a type of strength right like being able to but with this it's like i can yes and this because i know what it is and i can go oh yeah that's cool and it 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 did what it had to do it paid homage to its past but then it allowed itself to open up and have its own identity uh you know which is kind of a a meta story on vampires and nagash right yes nagash is, absolutely and and i i think that's really awesome well, Plus the cover is is, is stellar. <laughs> the cover is good. So much better than the last one. The last one with the with the Glenn Danzig wannabe vampire up on the up on the stand there with the fist out. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Mr. Mephisto, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, would you like to plug your show? I mean, it's the least I could do. Would you like to tell people about your show where they can find it? Yeah. If you want. A, a way less wholesome <laughs> show than yours. Uh, you know, I I, I do AOS uh, AOS Rantcast on uh, live on Twitch on Thursdays, uh, and then I export that the VOD to YouTube uh, and like Spotify and all that stuff. You know, afterwards. So so it's it's it is a live show. It's a little bit different. It is for a mature audience, I must say. Uh, so you know, we get we go weird sometimes on that show, and it really is a show that tries to investigate sort of the parallels between gaming and, and reality you know so I really try to like sort of start from Warhammer and then see what else we have in common from there is how <laughs> I run the show it's a fun show I do enjoy it <laughs> alright excellent thanks for having me on again thank you so much this no, is a lot of fun it's my pleasure anytime you want to come on it's always fun to talk lore with you because you get excited like I get excited right you yeah. know and it's it's there's always I, you know it, it, it's it's fun to, to be talking with someone who's just got that sort of like yeah oh and, and yeah and what about oh yeah yeah what about you know that's yeah that's the passion all, exactly just multiplies all right so before we go real quick though uh folks uh once again i want to one more time thank uh our patreon patrons our associate producers dwight sims christopher sanders ajc opian big jake executive producer colin miller uh again thank you again billy um for uh pumping up your pledge there thank you all every last patreon patron for being part of the one percent that make this show and everything we do possible and until next time folks when we come back and talk uh grave lord uh soul blight grave lords war gonna talk war and trust me the person we got coming on to talk about that they know their stuff they know about they they know what what units are going to do well and what units are going to do and how things are going to intermingle I'm I'm very I'm I'm impressed at myself that I got this to happen. So, here we go. So until that time, folks, only the faithful will be triumphant. 
Only the faithful will stand when all others fall. And only the faithful, no, no despair, except in failure.